257th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that was stonking before GameStop made it cool. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week, as usual, is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everyone. Uh, glad to be here and looking forward to sharing all sorts of valuable information with everybody. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to track your specs, chat on our Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in our hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Travis, what do we have on the agenda for our last episode before we hit five big years? Oh my god. MTG Uh... Fast Finance. I feel like I have to never stop so that I can always, both of us can never stop so that we can always tell our children that this is older than they are. We will start this week with segment one, our MTGO metagame week interview. We got some pioneer and some modern. Segment two, our top paper movers, and looking like a redo of last week uh, with some MTGO action behind it. Segment three, our paper cards to watch, uh, some stuff James and I think have a good outlook. And finally, segment four, our topic of the week, Jason Alt from here and every other content website on the internet that produces magic content will be joining us to talk about Kaldheim or Kaladesh or Kamigawa, whichever one strikes our fancy. A K-plane. Yeah. Of sorts. One of them. Yeah, one of them. One of them. Uh, so let's start out here, though. Segment one, our MTGO metagame week in review. And uh, in third place there, I spy something that I at least this time feel comfortable saying we haven't seen, at least recently. Well, uh, at the top of Pioneer, we have Five Color to Mizzet. So that's been around pretty much all year. Uh, second place, Mono Red Aggro. Jeskai and Soul is yeah. uh, a bit of a variant on the blue, red, and soul decks that we saw early on in Pioneer. Yeah, and we haven't seen... I mean, and soul as a strategy isn't new, but I haven't seen it show up in one of our lists here in quite some time. Uh, I think I, I feel like we've seen it maybe once or twice in a challenge in the last eight weeks or so, but it certainly hasn't been you know a consistent ranker, that's for sure. Yeah. And looks like they've been, the dip into white is mostly for Toolcraft Exemplar and all that glitters out of Throne of Eldraine. The enchanted creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact and or enchantment you control. And they also use a single copy of Karametra's Blessing, which is a Theros Beyond Death uh, card that I recall doing work for me in, in Limited. Mm-hmm. I don't doubt that. It's a, it's a solid-looking little package nothing too remarkable um coming out of this but good to be aware of i suppose 
Red White Prowess in 4th, Mono Green Mid Range in 5th, Sultai Reclamation in 6th, Blue White Spirit Slash Flyers in 7th. That's 34 creatures, 4 Lofty Denial, and 22 lands. Relatively straightforward. Just there to get the job done. 4 Color Omnath in 8th. And then over in the Modern Challenge, Shadow had a big, big week. Jund Shadow in first, Mardu Shadow in second, Black Right Red Shadow in third and fifth, Four Color Omnath in fourth, Blue Red Prowess in sixth, Humans in seventh, and a rare Blue Tron appearance in the top eight and eighth. Is it an omen that uh, we have like five decks in this top eight in the third week, uh, or sorry, the first week of February, and it's all Death Shadows? Does yeah. Means something? That's. <laughs> I hope not. The uh, the Jund list that took down uh, for first place in this challenge was running... The green is for Tarmogoyf, Assassin's Trophy, and then in the sideboard they have access to Veil of Summer. And otherwise, it's a Lurus out of the sideboard shadow list not sure why they felt Tarmogoyf was necessary, but this is this has got like Jund Rock Shadow hybrid vibes going on. It's it's funny that you would say you don't know why Tarmogoyf gets a spot only because for so long it was just oh do you play Magic cards in a format where Tarmogoyf is legal? Find <laughs> yeah. a reason why you shouldn't play him. And now I'm uh, like now I'm like oh maybe they were missing four cards they needed, but they had old Tarmogoyfs lying around. Yeah, I mean, that possibly could be it. But, it, you know, he's still a very competent creature. I mean, you're, he, he has, I don't think he's really been beaten in terms of just straightforward two mana for a lot of, a lot of power. And, you know, the Death Shadow deck is doing a lot of things to try and drive its life total down. So you're naturally powering Tarmogoyfs up as it is. Well, they have the four Mishra's Bobbles, so they have the whole package to get the different types in the graveyard. They have a Seal of Fire to yeah. push that even further. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, your Seal. And then the second place one was the Mar- was a Mardu variant, where they're not running Scourge of the, of the Skyclave at all. Instead, they've got four Tide Hollow, Hollow Sculler in place. Four Inquisition of Kozilek, three Lingering Souls, four Thoughtseize, four Fatal Push, two Coligan's Command, four Lightning Bolt, Four Mistress Bobble, two Nihil Spell Bomb, four Death Shadow, three Crocs, a Titan of Death's Hunger. We've seen Mardu lists like this in the past. There was some fooling around with Season of Pyromancer at some some point uh, in the last eighteen months, and yeah, I mean, people people finding any which way to play Luris, I suppose. He is getting it done. How are those uh, extended arts looking? <laughs> Real good. Prices at? Real good. 50, 50 bucks right now. I snapped off a foil Japanese, uh, a pack foil Japanese copy of Luris for like eight and a half bucks on eBay this weekend on a whim. Extended art. Yeah, because I was listening. I, I was went to list one for sale for like 20 plus, And I was like, who's this guy hanging out with an $8.50 copy? I'll buy him his lonesome. May as well <laughs> pre-restock my inventory. Yeah, it looks like he's still floating around at uh, about 45, 47 after shipping on TCG, about 25 listings deep. I guess it's the question there sort of becomes, will uh, 
will modern be the format players land on when they come back to EDH? Or I'm sorry, come back to paper. Uh, I did notice Seth was talking about there being, um, he doesn't think standard will be there when people come back to the tables because they were pushing it towards modern to, or towards arena to begin with. Um, so he doesn't expect that to come back very strong. And I had pointed, I pointed out in past episodes that I thought standard would definitely suffer at the outset because without wizards doing some work to put additional standard products right on the shelves for people, because people are going to come back to standard and have like literally zero standard legal cards. So if, you know, if that's kind of true, and Pioneer is still, you know, kind of dead in the water, at least at the outset. Modern might be the, you know, modern EDH might be the major formats people come back to in paper, you know, the later half of this year. That could see Luris doing a lot of work. Yep, could be true. All right, so the, yeah, top eights looked relatively straightforward. Nothing uh, too new or exciting. Just a big, big old week for Shadow. Now, over in the top paper movers, we have a story of infinite folly or infinite genius. I'm just not entirely sure which yet. This is Shades, of course, of the 2017 reserve list spikes where people dug deep into what we thought was the bottom of the barrel. But apparently not. Apparently there were still reserveless cards that were so deep in the crevices of the bottom of the barrel that you had to get in upside down and scrape them out with your fingernails. Mm. We have Homeland's cards like Leeches, which is worthless and never played anywhere. Apparently posted at $20 plus on TCG Player on the simple basis that it has the term reserveless associated with it. Yeah, I, I mean... That's going to be the the narrative of this story, and I gotta say, I like I'm not I don't know I guess I'm not terribly surprised that this is what we're looking at because it's just become a situation where if it's if it's a collectible in this way if it's reserve list it doesn't matter what the card does it's the reserve list it's just the important part. Regardless, I hit the hit some storefronts in the last week or two to see if I could scoop up any old reserve list cards. And I don't really think I'm going to get punished for it. Uh, at least not the way I got punished on GME. So, uh, you know, the, uh, there'll be retracing across the board, but I think a lot of this stuff is going to stick around in some capacity, even if it takes you forever to move. A lot of it will like, and, and plenty is selling. It's, you know, last time it was relatively easy to move a spiked Yavimaya Hollow here and there at 40 or 50 bucks. This time, moving them closer to 100 and then all sorts of stuff that wouldn't have gone anywhere. You know, Baron Master Wizard. I, I sold Urtai Wizard of Death at $30 this week. Sold a Tolarian Academy at $190. The card is banned essentially everywhere. Dang. Um, those were available commonly a couple years back at 20 to 40 bucks. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they were collector's items, and that was about it. Treacheries, treacheries are selling near a hundred. Sold a Judge Foil Phyrexian Dreadnought near a hundred and forty. That was LP, not even near mint. I don't know how many Tolarian Academies and Sarah Sanctums that I sold for between fifteen and forty bucks over the years. It was a lot. Sure, and and it seemed completely reasonable at the time. Yeah, I mean, hell, 50 bucks or 40 bucks for a Tolarian Academy and you like, could not play it in any single format. 
<laughs> Fine by me. <coughs> I mean, I saw the Japanese Palancron January 27th for $45. Now Palancron is 100 plus in theory. I mean, that, that person could probably turn around and make another 25 bucks off it after fees and shipping. Man, I got to tell you, there is a certain point at which I have to heavily weigh dipping into my EDH binder, which I didn't really want to ever have to open up. Like that was supposed to be like my personal set aside cards, but uh, I've got some juicy reserve list cards in there and it is hard to not get into it. Well, I mean, my Atraxa deck, if you go by the TCG market on that monstrosity, it's got stuff like Abyss in there that are just and ridiculous things right Mm -hmm. cradles are supposedly a thousand bucks now which is something you said on cast like 18 months ago that seemed far flung at the time but the time is nigh (laughs) yeah yeah i've got a uh, i know i have a a japanese foil palancron floating around that's a nice one a judge cradle like i never they weren't all in one deck and everything was just kind of floating around i never really thought too much about it because it was just you know my stuff and they were in my decks and i was like yeah sure this is fine i'm not trying to do anything with them uh but it's like damn it's a lot of money yeah it's a lot of money and it's cold and snowy and i'm wishing i had a hot tub and it's like you telling me i could take two cards out of this deck and buy a hot tub (laughs) yep yep so let's dive in here. Jeweled Lotus foils, pack foils. These are the ones you, that you can get outside of collector boosters. Uh, 100 to 130. 30% gains. Fit just 15 listings left on those. And yeah, that set is in theory in print. But how much of it is actually going to be circulating? How much of it's going to get opened? And how easy is it to find a foil mythic in there? In the regular boxes. Man, this card just... I don't know. It upsets me at like a visceral level <laughs> because I know that the card is not that useful. Like it's not nearly as good as people want it to be. It feels like they forced this status upon it. They, they, they like, just decided this is the thing. Yeah. And like all of these random EDH players are just sort of along for the ride. Like, okay, well, I guess this is what the market decided and this is what it's going to be. And it's like, it, does, it doesn't have to be this way, you guys. And yet this is where we are. I mean, it's and got... I, I, the foil extended arts have gone through a mild retracing this week that should have been expected. Uh, you know, people that were snapping off copies at 500 there for a little bit there for a few days, there was only like two or three copies posted up near a thousand. Now people are undercutting each other to try to get out nervous hands. You got a $725 copy as the lowest near mint currently on TCG. Well, I mean, that's, I guess, reassuring in some capacity. Uh, but I mean, it's not, like, it's not like these are going to be cheap, you know? Well, I mean, you had people that just a month ago, you know, cracked one open, looked up online. Okay, they're 350 Wow, good for me. And then they hear a month later that it's a $1,000 card. Of course, they're going to post it at 700 and feel good about it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. A, that's a double up on a situation where you were already paying for your entire collector booster box with one card. Well, and it's probably the case that there were in something of a transition period where you have all these people who acquired it kind of on the earlier side of things. And now that the price has gotten so silly are we're moving the cards from those players to the players who are willing to pay that type of money. And it's not going to happen overnight, but once that exchange happens and those people who are comfortable having sold it at three fifty, and those people who will pay 800 for it, get their hands on it. That'll, that'll be it. And then the price will stop going down again. 
Yeah. So, biggest uh, gainer so far out of Kaldheim is variants on Velki, God of Lies. Uh, and keep in mind that the Mythic Gods have Showcase, Borderless, and Pre-Release, and Regular Foils, and Regulars. <laughs> so dealer's, dealer's choice here. Yeah, the Showcase one looks like the Joker went for a walk on a cold winter's day in Buffalo. Um... The border you say that as if it's not a cold. You you don't get them up on your end. <laughs> yeah, the the borderless one is more like a homeless dude asking you for some change. I think the best art is probably is honestly on the the pack foil, but yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of any of the three to be honest. I will tell you that when we looked it up in our when we were chatting about it last week, I wasn't really struck by it. I'm, honestly, I was a little surprised they didn't play up the Joker reference harder. They got the um. The card is seeing multi-format play uh, because of the tricksy ways in which you can end up getting the expensive side of it for free. So this is probably the Chase Mythic from this set. I'm not a fan of these these price points. Wake me up in you know four weeks when it may or may not have set up shop in Pioneer and Modern. If it uh, if it stays on the fringes in that format instead of posting up regular top eights, then that will be one thing. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you that it's gotta it's gotta earn its spot, and uh, that's fine. Cards have to do that. Mm-hmm. Urtai Wizard Adept twenty two to thirty one. As I said, I was selling copies of this card in the in the mid mid low thirties this week, so certainly moving. That's that one and Baron are maybe worth holding. I mean, Trixhaven, Strixhaven is gonna have a heavy Wizards theme, and they're both reserveless Wizards, so I. Yeah, I dug two Barons out this week, sold them both as LP copies, and probably should have held on to them. Uh, but it is what it is. I don't mind test- testing the ramp just to make sure like a new plateau is real. And if I was you know, 40 copies deep on Ur- Urtai or something, I would certainly be continuing to sell. But since I only have a couple left, I'm not in a huge rush. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Phyrexian Altar out of Invasion uh, from 50 to 74. That's not a foil copy, folks. That's a regular copy. Um, it's been out of print for a few years. I think we last saw it in, what, Ultimate Masters? Uh, that card has been around the block enough times that I lose track. Actually, I think that's just it, though. I think this Altar has not been. Yeah, it's only ever been an in Invasion and Ultimate Masters. Phyrexian Altar? Yep. Oh, I'm thinking of um, Phyrexian Arena. That's what I was thinking of. Okay. Uh, yeah, so Altar is $48 market for the UMA copy and forty six seventeen for the Invasion copy right now. Okay. Uh, not a bad card to dig out of the binder because they will catch a reprint and it's a rare, not a mythic, presumably the next time around. It'll get nice and cheap next time. Yeah, I, this is a card that was really expensive. UMA came out, and I'm pretty sure it hit that price real hard. I don't, I didn't pull up the graph, but that sank, and now it's looking real tasty. Um, I, I feel like I want to be a buyer the next time this swings around. Sure. Um, Badlands out of. Uh, Revised. So you have third edition. We're calling that revised, right? Okay. I always, always get that mess up because I see third edition and I think unlimited. Um, 
350 to 600. Post, Come po- on. Poster child for big gains in reserve list duels finally this week. Now, eBay is lagging behind TCG, which is clearly the epicenter of a lot of this motion. But there's also, uh, you know, chatter going around that a big part of what's going on with duels is Japan has really raised their buy list because they can't get their hands on any, like, anywhere. So the buy list in Japan on revised uh, mint, you know, Japanese near mint is basically mint. Uh, Badlands is at 40,000 yen, which is essentially 380, 390 US. That's, um, that's a lot of tamales. They're, that's doing a lot to prop this up. Certainly helps. Uh, because anybody that, you know, there's a lot of the, the arbitrage guys that ship stuff off to Japan. They don't need a double up. If they can get something for 200 and flip it to Japan for 240 as part of a larger order, they're going to do that mm-hmm. all day mm-hmm. long because that's fast money. But, yeah. You know, that's not that's not 20% return. That's 20% non-annualized. And if they can compound that six or seven more times that year, they're doing very well. I will say that it is uh, it is a dagger that I sold through like... I had I had over 40 duels as of like two years ago, two-ish years ago, and I sold through a lot of the bonus ones because they had gone up a little bit, and I only kept like one or two of each because I just wasn't building that many EDH decks, and I didn't care. That's a bummer, but such is the way of life with reserve list cards. Oh, there was 60 or 70 duels in the Super Collection that I flew to LA in 2015. Yeah. But they had, well, they had already spiked recently at the time so that they seemed like an excellent cornerstone by which to leverage that that deal and in fact i think they they were the biggest draw and you know that person probably you know r- rolled those over relatively quickly sometime in the next six to twelve months and wishes they'd kept them too yeah but the, re- yeah. But the reality is like m- money you know money from five years ago that's doubled since then has done a lot better in in smart hands. Like a hundred dollars I invested for I don't know thirty forty times over since then has done a lot better than if I'd held. So I'm I'm more than happy to be holding the duels that I still have, but it's not like we didn't put the money to work in the interim. Well, sure, sure. I mean, I don't disagree with that, but it's still uh, you know still not fun to think about. <laughs> Phyrexian Dreadnought 70 to 130 sold plenty of those this week too Tolarian Academy 150 to 300 so I said I sold a copy at 190 if you believe it's a $200 plus card then you got the guy who bought that from me goes ahead tries to flip it for 245 or something and makes a little change himself there's a lot of a lot of people getting rich in the middle here well well small buying lunch in the middle small W wealthy but they're doing fine mind over yeah. mind over matter XO uh, from Exodus, 45 to 110 uh, by lowest po- posted prices. Test all these plateaus. These numbers are imaginary until you prove them. Uh, Palancron, 55 to 140, perhaps. Hidden Gibbons, foils. That's not even a reserve list card. That's just old <laughs> foils being targeted. $9 to 25. Boy, I tried to make that card work so many times. That's one green, and if they cast an instant or a sorcery, you get a 4-4. Four, four. But, right, the important thing here is that it's called Hidden Gibbons, which is a funny name. <laughs> okay. Who doesn't want Hidden Gibbons? 
Actually, I guess ah, I, I, I guess cast Hingibans. Actually, I guess it's only if they cast instants and not sorceries. So you get a four four if they cast an instant. Yeah, it was your blue tech basically. Mm-hmm. Or, or anybody with bolts. Contract from below and jeweled bird both took off. These are anti cards. Contract from below four to thirteen. I've got a bunch of those sitting around. I'm sure. Jeweled bird forty five to one fifty. That's out of Arabian Nights. Boy, I would love to play with anti again. It, it's not good, it's not good for the people that have real gambling addictions but people that are or, that are capable of having doing low like low-key gambling and then easily walking away from it like me i loved anti or uh, or children sure <laughs> which is why they banned all that in the first place because yeah but you know this is not a children's game and pokemon wow the kids have pokemon let them it's do it's the, not now but they were trying to make it back then oh for sure for sure for sure all right. What were we on? Death Cloud? Is that the next one here? We were proposing to bring Anti back. Okay, that was what we were... <laughs> well, following that is uh, Death Cloud uh, out of Modern Masters 3 to 11. That's a pretty big jump. Uh, Death Cloud was always sort of a, a fringe modern darling, but I got to be honest, I'm not clear why we would be seeing this again. It's not like we saw it in our challenge up there or something. Did somebody brew this recently? I haven't seen a deck with it. But it hasn't been printed for a while. Yeah, Modern Masters was the last one. I'm trying to TCG player. They are pretty much empty. You'll pay 12 bucks for a copy, seven vendors, and they all go up from there. And I think you can apply the same principles as you do to Phyrexian Altar. It's only got two printings. It didn't get a, catch a reprint in Commander Legends. So it ends up making the list for people that are like, huh, what are some interesting cards that are getting kind of hard to find that don't actually have as many printings as you think they do? Let's snag some of those. Yeah, I, I'm a little suspect here, but sure, why not? More not reserveless nonsense. Halls of Mist, $3 to 14 Bad Moon, this is just revised nonsense. Bad Moon co- revised copies, 5 to 25 Someone thought it said Blood Moon. They were getting <laughs> Blood Moon copies from revised. Well, you, you said you sold two Serendipifreets this week? I did, I did. Those, no. those are up over 40 on TCG with their remaining stock, which isn't very deep. Yeah, those were, for the longest time, I those, so the revised Serendip Efreets are the misprinted ones. Yeah. They have, um, they're the green border with the blue, uh, with the island mana symbol. And uh, for the longest time, I was always kind of surprised at how cheap they were because they were misprint, but there was enough of them that it kept the price low. But here we are. It's, I mean, it's revi- revised this week again. They're actually not a crazy play because they're playable in the old school at minimum. And they have the misprint factor. And they're a rare. So, not the worst. Um, Frankenstein's Monster out of the Dark, 17 to 150, or whatever. Somewhere in between there. That that one's cool. I mean, like, I can at least appreciate this one a little bit more. Because this is, like, a weird card, right? Like, it's Frankenstein's Monster. It's one of the few examples of a real... Where they reference something completely out of lore, and it just gives the creative team headaches. Yeah, there's this, there's like the Pope hat, there's the Albert Einstein card. All of those seem like more reasonable reserve list spec targets than, you know, the absolute junk simply because they're novelties. And same with, um, I'm going to skip the line just a little bit, like leeches topping the chart from a dollar to 20 out of Homelands, dollar to 20 um it's sort of a gimmick card a little bit like it's technically playable and also it's just 
leeches i don't know it was leeches it was mildly gimmicky like more so than a bunch of the other cards on the reserve list how, how can we even make this playable uh you play against somebody who plays in fact edh decks because it does remove poison counters and then deals damage to them for each poison removed i mean it's, well but if they're playing an infect deck you don't care about the damage you took you, you do if, if the other if the other deck. players aren't playing infect Look, you said make it playable, not make it good. <laughs> okay, okay. No, there's a line there. Okay, I, I concede somebody could table the card. I mean, if you're like theoretically, if you are a whatever a Loro deck, and there's one guy in your group who loves to play infect cards, you bring this with you, and the life gain doesn't really hurt because what are you removing at most nine poison counters, so like nine life, right? Uh, and it saves you, so it's not good, but. Only other unnamed card here on the list is a representative for, honestly, hunt like a couple hundred old foils. <laughs> Basically, like foils from the Urza's block forward the next six, seven years just seem to be under complete pressure. Like people are just buying them all, just junk. Like foil commons, whatever does like all of it. So like Blessed Reversal is a foil rare from Urza's Legacy. It does nothing that matters. You could get a smattering of them on tcg for five six seven dollars recently and now the lowest posted price is 50 or whatever that's oh boy that is some art right there man pete venters yeah karn with that big that big frowny face <laughs> I, I gotta go back and get check with my dad and see how many foil like how far foil magic online sets went back and how many he has <laughs> because the interstate depending on how far back that goes i mean it could be 2002 2003 right so not quite urza's the uh 2003 was like mirrored in right sounds about so you, correct you would be in like the legion scourge onslaught block and slightly before that which Somewhere in like the Nemesis of Prophecy era, roughly. But you're talking white box, air sealed minty foils from that era. <laughs> Those MTGO sets eventually are going to be nasty little bricks of money. They'll be uh, good for Lara to barter for fresh water. <laughs> yeah. All right, so that's the top paper movers of the week. Some interesting stuff over on Magic Online. Uh, I realized uh, it's important to admit your mistakes. So when I noticed today that I had been paying Mana Traders 30 bucks a month for the last six months without doing a single trade, um, yeah, that's solid 180 down the, down the drain for no reason. The, the uh, At least you can feel better knowing that that is way less than many people have burned on Jim memberships sure yeah. that they didn't use i have a friend who i'm pretty confident has paid 30 dollars a month for a gym membership since i've known him which is something like eight years and i think he's been to the gym less than 10 times <laughs> he just That's, likes to, he just likes to know it's an option that he could get pretty much together. like yeah paying for the for the ability to go if he needs to it's uh I, Whatever, I, man. I do have a lot of credit for taking transit when I could have dr driven in Toronto for many years. And I also cut my own hair for most of my adult life, which explains a lot. 
and uh, yeah, there's there's some money. There's been some money saved. Yeah, you you just answered several questions we've had on the cast before, <laughs> or at least it wired had. Uh, yeah. So Valakut Awakening out of uh, Zendikar Rising, uh, twenty nine cents to fifty two cents, uh, mostly on e- back of EDH. Archon of Emiria out of Zendikar Rising, twenty two cents to forty two cents. So I guess point two two ticks to point four two ticks. Uh, of 90%, doing work in multiple formats, including kicking the crap out of a vintage tournament. The vintage super qualifier for Archon of Emeria in the main, 8 0. This deck was 4 Noble Hierarch, 2 Collector Oof, 3 Lavinia Azorius Renegade, 4 Tarmogoyf, 4 Archon of Emeria, 1 Hull Breacher, 2 Spell Queller, 2 Oko Thief of Crowns, Ancestral Recall, Brainstorm, Flusterstorm, Gataxian Probe, Mental Misstep, Ponder, Spell Pierce, Two Swords of Plowshares, Time Walk, Four Force of Will, A Gush, A Dig Through Time, Lotus, Emerald, Pearl, Sapphire, and some lands. Hmm. Now, mm-hmm. now, to, now to, to revisit, Archon of Emeria is a two and a white, two, three, flying Archon. Each player can't cast more than one spell each turn. Each player... And non-basic lands your opponent's control enter the battlefield tapped. So if you lotus that on turn one in vintage, you're doing pretty okay. Do they do vintage decks play basic lands? They probably like play one ofs, right? At least. Yeah, they have like one and two, yeah. Huh. But their fetches would still come into play tapped. Yeah. Strip mines, mm-hmm. tundras, wastelands, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Your their yeah. shirt workshops, bazaars. Does the- these hate hate decks are you know always manage to get some work done in vintage. I don't think it's because they're good. I think it's because I think they're they they usually float somewhere around fine. The bigger problem is that m- most people in an event can't afford to play a a full caliber vintage deck, so they come up with stuff like this that works. And those decks are overrepresented for how effective they are against the field. I, but that might be true in paper. I don't think that's true on Magic Online. Well, if it's not true on Magic Online, then that means those decks are that good because people have the option to not play them and they still do. So, so for instance, this deck is $43,740 in paper. In a, how, how much? $43,000? $43,740. Okay. In ticks, it's $547, which is akin to a mid-tier standard deck most years. Yeah. I mean, the difference being that, like... <clears throat> a mid-tier standard deck is still probably has a bunch of cards that you own or are floating around or that you know you'll use, what have you. Whereas 550 ticks in a vintage deck is exactly that deck and probably virtually nothing else. Um, I guess the liquidity of MTGO changes the math a little bit. I don't know. None of this is really here nor there. Bottom line, our kind of Emiria might be very underrated as a sub-$3 foil extended art. Yeah, I mean, people also thought foil slash pantsers were going to make them money, so I'm not holding my breath yet. <laughs> Valky got a lies, also made movements here, 31 to 73 out of the gate. Uh, keep in mind that I think draft started last Wednesday or Thursday. Um, prime short target on Magic Online now, a $70, 70 ticket card that just started getting drafted. It's got, <laughs> it's got to drop. It's got to drop. It's gonna get, it's gonna get shorted for sure. Uh, that's and at, at this stage i don't think we need to tell you guys what uh what's going on what what possible risks exist with that 
Well, I mean, the only risk is that you, if you short short and they have a problem with it, then you your account gets shut down. <laughs> Talking about uh, GameStop. That's what I was <laughs> referencing. Well, the thing here is there's no real... See, the thing is with GameStop, the unlimited risk is that the card could go to the moon. But there are very real factors in play on Magic Online that prevent a Mythic from going just randomly going to 500 tickets. That just yeah. never happens. Because you have constant draft pressure adding fresh, quote-unquote, shares to the market. So the the draft pressure is going to overwhelm any attempt to buy a card up the ladder. Especially because you can't get huge swaths of product on Magic Online all at once anyway. Like, if you start buying something, it gets more expensive each time you buy it. So mm-hmm. all, all plays mm-hmm. are necessarily broad and shallow. Sure. Right, 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 right. I, I, I was more being glib than I was. Sure. Yeah. Uh, fastest intervention, uh, one cent, well, 0.01 tick to 0.03 tick, basically impossible to make money off of, um, but notable because Salti Dex and Pioneer continue to be a thing. Uh, moving right along here to paper cards to watch. Back in episode 253, I highlighted a pile of foil extended arts from Commander Legends that I thought were definitely going to get there. Command Beacon, Command Tower, Blasphemous Act. I said Blasphemous Act 7 to 20. Tried to, I, tried mm-hmm. to, I tried to tell you to pick that today. So that, that, would, have been, I know that, that would have been a mistake because uh, we already picked it. But it's, ah. it's just about to get there. So that's why it was a good pick. <laughs> Uh, I, I remember picking, I'm old enough to remember picking the original Foil Blasphemous Act and thinking that was, it was really working its way up the, the ladder there before that special reprinting. Well, I mean, the the Blasphemous Acts on, do, 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 let's take a look here, on TCG Player, what do I call, 7 to 20, episode 253. Lowest price is currently 13, but there's only 20 results left and the curve goes right up to 20 within 7 copies. So we're very close to hitting that target. Uh, yeah. All right. So moving right along, here's the other stuff that has already shown some gains and is probably going to go even bigger. How about foil extended art mana drains at, if you can believe this, $175. My logic, this is the best mana drain in existence. If you can't get your hands on a Legends copy, it's easily the most premium, looks the best, Art's good, looks good as a, as a foil extended art, and it's going to go 175 to 300. I have zero doubt. Let me take a look here. Uh, yeah, I think the the Judge monitoring was pretty cool looking. I like that art quite a bit, but at the same time, it's not the extended art, which I think really does a lot of work for these cards. Uh, lowest copy lowest copy i see right now is a pretty like brand new sketchy store on tcg player at about 160 then dice guys at 192.48 the play here is europe where you can still get them all in for about 175 and i think that's going to be worth it if you take a look at other mana drain options there just isn't that much to choose from we have a judge promo mana drain we have the original mana drain from legends Legends copies market price is three sixty three. Judge promos market price is two seventy five. You got I- iconic masters foils, which are the same art, and those are basically akin to a pack foil. They're at one eighty two. Foil extended art foils got to beat that one. Mm, you know, I just found 
Japanese extended art foils for 200. Yep, seems fine too. Hmm. Uh, I mean, this is this is some big ball, but I, I, it seems unlikely to not get there, especially given the week we've had. There's a lot of lot of demand for all this type of stuff, and there's no reason to think that this won't keep going. Your supply is already very low. You know, TCG players got 16 total vendors. Um, so if you know if you're buying these overseas at one 150, 170, 175, that still looks pretty good compared to the market over here and these will just these are just going to dry up and be invisible these could be the next masterpiece soul ring or mana crypt in a couple of years and it could be sooner because there's there's less of them we you, i saw you were talking with people on the discord today about how you're one of the last people standing on tcg player with a 800 dollars uh masterpiece soul ring or something right uh yeah masterpiece soul ring yeah the apparent someone must have went in on it because the market price is 500 but i was the lowest listed copy at 650 so somebody scooped up all the ones underneath me sure so i mean that's just gonna keep going on even if that if that brings you know five ten more copies out of the woodwork then those are gonna dry up and so on and so forth people keep talking about how yeah but soul ring and other stuff there's too many premium copies and it's like yeah, but they're not really in competition with one another when their older copies dry up to nothing. Like, so looks, like we will eventually get inventions too. So what? They'll print they'll print Soul Ring in that as well, and it'll and it'll start at whatever, and then give it a couple of years, it'll be up at three hundred plus as well. Uh, yes, I agree. You've got so Soul Ring, uh, so monitoring on EDA track is showing it just under 30,000 decks, so pretty significant. Uh, Soul Ring clocks in at 367,000. Exactly, you, you can so you pr- can... pretty popular card, uh, 12 times more popular than monitoring, but monitoring is still, still up there. We're looking at a top 20 blue card or so, um, but uh, by a quick glance, far and away the most expensive blue card for quite a ways nothing's more expensive than it if you're looking in terms of edh rec playability um and it sits at about half the popularity a third of the popularity of counterspell and cyclonic rift so you think of cyclonic rift as being a, a major key format staple like absolute the most one of the most played cards with a colored mana pip in the cast casting cost and mana drain is about a third as popular um and, you know, the price is definitely a drag, so that slows down the, the uptake there. My point being is that clearly the card's got a lot of demand behind it. Um, I'm just evaluating your your comment of it being the next Soul Ring. Uh, you know, I think you're probably on a slightly longer road to five or $600. But I think, you know, three $350 is not crazy. And, I mean, you, you look at stuff like this Foil Jeweled Lotus and some of these other stuff, uh, the, you know, these ultra premium versions of everything are just stupid. So, like, who am I to say no? I'm not sure it's a longer road at all. Masterpiece Soul Ring took, what, two years I, to get to 300 plus, year and a half, something like that. Uh, this could probably beat that. Um, yeah, I guess when I said longer road, I just meant like, I don't know, it'll hit 400 before it hits 600. It's lower demanded and necessarily so its demand would be at, at an even higher level if it wasn't such an expensive card. I mean, even the cheapest versions of this card are not cheap. 
Whereas Soul Ring yeah. can get for a dollar. So, which I think is is a very salient point that there's no cheap copy of monitoring. So it's it's gated in that regards. Mm-hmm. Whereas Cyclonic Rift, you know, every now and then you can pick them up for like four bucks or something. So. Uh, there's a lot of cards on EDH Rock that are way less popular by the numbers than you would think they are just because you most people can't afford them. Um, so yeah. I'm going to start off this week um, over having browsed through the recent Lisa decks. I'm pretty sure we're pronouncing that Lisa. Uh, I didn't tell you, I forgot to mention at the top of the episode, somebody messaged me and said that I was right in pronouncing Aladamari's name, and I shouldn't let you push me around. Oh, really? Were, yeah. Let me so, look. Let, so, let me so look. what? Are, so what are they saying? It is. He said, "You had too many eyes in it." It's it's Eladomri. Yeah, I say Eladomri. What did he say, Eladomri? He said, "You had it right." He was trying to add another I between the M and the R. Oh, you might have said Ella, Ella Demiri? No, that doesn't sound like me. Ella, I don't know. I think it's Ella Domri. I think I said Ella Domri. Yeah, which sounds sounds right like to me. that's what you said. Sorry, but sorry, buddy. Uh, but I appreciate you got my back. Hey, I I, good, I have said. Looking. In fairness to him, he might be right. I've said, <laughs> I've said the same thing three, two or three different ways in various episodes. So we 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 also had an entire episode that we talked about Kaladesh that neither of us noticed. So, yeah, like, where we were talking about Kyle time. So um, he could be right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna jump uh, looking here at Talisman of Hierarchy. Now you've heard us talk about the other talismans once or twice on the cast, but Talisman of Hierarchy is getting some attention right now because of this uh, Lisa Commander. Lisa is the, oh, you know, I didn't pull it up because I was looking at all your stuff. So let me find that for you. It's Lisa Shroud of Dusk. Um, this is the new one from Commander uh, Legends. It's the Black White Angel, 5 mana 5-5. Five, five. Uh, rather than pay 2 for each time you've cast it from the command zone, you can pay 2 life instead. So you can always pay 5 mana rather than 7, 9, so forth. Uh, flying lifelink and then whenever a player casts a spell they lose two life so a real tax on players and commander um, which i would presume based on your table could either crush some people or be meaningless against some others but um, an interesting effect and has been pretty popular lately driving some additional demand on black white cards that we don't see every week uh, fun fact lisa was the other angel from avison playing avison and i think avison killed her or way before the events of Innistrad, because she, I don't know, thought she was a jerk or something. I don't remember. But she murdered her, and that's why she didn't show up in Innistrad. Um, but Talisman of Hierarch is the Modern Horizons talisman that was based on the uh, original, I think it was Mirrodin set of these. So it's a two mana, taps for wastes or black and white, and it deals one damage to you. Um, it's only in Modern Horizons. There are about 13 vendors left on TCG Player with the cheapest copy around $10. A couple people have more than one copy. I see one guy has six, um, but you're already up to $11 at that price point. Um the only one with any significant number of copies, yeah, 17, but those are $30, which is past the price point that I'm shooting for here. So I think if you bought, you know, you can probably, you can grab these at nine or 10 bucks, and I think you could look to skip out of them at 20, um, hopefully this year, maybe the next couple months. 
I think my earliest pick on these summer of 2019 was Talisman of Creativity, if I'm not mistaken. So Cliff talked about Talisman of Creativity early this year. Um, and I had checked that one out too. And Talisman of Creativity is a p- very appealing. Um, it is actually slightly more popular than Talisman of Hierarch. Hierarch is Hierarchy. Talisman of Creativity. Hierarchy, thank you. Uh, Hierarchy, I forgot to mention this, is in 20,000 EDH rec decks and is in 20% of all decks made since it was printed. So that's some very good numbers. Uh, Talisman of Creativity is in 25,000 decks. So it's a little more popular. Um, but the, And the price point is right around the same spot. So... I like them both. I think the supply on Hierarchy is a little shorter right now, probably because the Lisa players are buying them and we don't really have a meaningful way for those additional copies to make it back into TCG Player. The bottom line is that even foil uncommons from Modern Horizons are relatively rare. Much rarer than foil uncommons in the current drop rates. And... Wizards will reprint these for sure, but maybe not in foil for some time. Like this, they, they would make a perfect secret layer. That could happen. But the original printing foils are still going to keep going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe they're in Modern Horizons 2, maybe, but like it doesn't seem the most likely. No, I doubt it. Modern Horizons 2 is, I think, very unlikely to have much in the way of reprints the only way i could see them popping up there is if there's something like a vip pack associated with modern horizons 2 and they're gonna they're gonna you know in the same way that they took some uncommons and made them premium cards in like crop rotation or whatever and with the double masters vips they could do that with these yes yeah, but, it, you know, you've got a couple of possibilities here that could get in your way, but I think for the most part, um, these are all in good shape. Yep, okay, I can buy that. Uh, two more foil extended art picks from Commander Legends that are going to pop soonish. Uh, FEA Vampiric Tutors, grab them in the US or EU in the 120, 130, maybe up to 135 range, depending on where you're getting them from and how hard of a, a bargain you strike. They're going to head for 200 It's the most permanent premium version available of an EDH mega staple, very similar to with the Mana Drain. And they're only a rare foil extended art, not a mythic, but there's no inventory, no restock that anybody's spoken of yet. And I think these are headed for 200 plus. That's another, uh, another big boy target here with that price point of $130. But, you know, it's got the same thing as, is where, where does this, you know, why, why wouldn't it, basically? I mean, all you got to do why is like take a look at other versions of it, Vampiric Tutor. The, the two biggest releases in the last few years have been... Uh, you have, or Sorry. It, of the entire timeline of, of Vampiric Tutor, the only other foils are the Judge Foils. You had... And Eternal Masters. So Eternal Masters uses the same art as Commander Legends. So there's some competition there, but the foils from uh, EMA, lowest priced copy on TCG is 150 then 185 and there's only five listings total. The Yeah, the, um, the Judge one I think is very cool, uh, but I'm a sucker for old border foils. Uh, past that, it's this is the best version. Well, there's two Judge foils. The original one... Currently sitting around uh, 250 
Market's at 188, but they've been targeted recently too. And the lowest priced copy is 250 dollars. So mm. I'm not in any rush to sell my copies that I've got uh, lying around. And then there's the uh, Vampire Pirate Judge foil that is currently was at I think we were picking those up as low as 55 or 60 in Europe when they first came out. Now the lowest price copy is 100 bucks on TCG Player. Nine results left. And that one's going to end up being 200 bucks as well. <laughs> so, so I have little doubt that the foil extended art, best version of the newer art, which is good art, not amazing art, uh, but it's still arguably the most premium version other than the original old border judge foil. These are going to get there. Um, yeah, 120, 120, 130, 130. 140 150 i mean it's like five or six copies and they're 200 dollars. and that commander legends product looking less and less likely every week well those boxes are changing hands now at 300 plus i had a vendor tell me this week i was like hey if you get any he's like that's not gonna happen and i'm like oh, oh why is that he's like somebody gave me a standing order that if i could get it together at least 20 units he'd give me 500 a unit wow <laughs> presumably headed off to Japan if they can get their hands on them or something or into the hands of private collectors who just haven't managed to pick them up. I mean, if my dad forgot to buy something like that during COVID, he'll just pay whatever market ask is, I suppose. This podcast is basically a... Uh, commercial to go work as a doctor. <laughs> which is your father's profession not really i mean anybody who knows doctors or has been in the family of medical professionals they're having a real hard year the well it's, sure they get paid well in the u.s but they also do a lot of work not all of them because i do know some that don't but the ones that are in the trenches are doing lots of work i mean my dad oh, my dad sure. works 60 70 hours a week he's not not some like toe specialist that's out golfing all summer well yeah, but you never talk about that. You just talk about how much money your dad wants to spend on magic. No, it's it's not about how much money he wants to spend on magic. It's about that people that have more money than time are not price are price inelastic. They don't care what the price is. They don't price. They don't have time to go like look at twenty different websites to save six dollars. So when people are like, "Why did somebody buy my copy? It was twenty dollars more than another." I'll tell you why. Because algorithms are imperfect, and somebody ran a bad search. Right. I know. Uh, no, I'm not disagreeing with any of this, except my point is someone listening to this is going, wow, you can just go throw $400 at collector's boosters because it's easy and he doesn't care. And I want to do that. Like, I want that money. I should become a doctor. And then jokes on them, being a doctor sucks. Unless you're an anesthesiologist, because it's anesthesiologists and radiologists, without question, are the guys who get paid the most money for the least amount of work. Yeah. That's sort of this way. My father makes five times more than I do. I would not tra trade my life, my job for his, for that that salary change. Like, not even, oh. not even close. I don't want to do that either. I'm not saying that it's a great decision. I just said we're a commercial for it. <laughs> People don't see that when they hear us talk about it. They just talk about how much money he's got. And they're, you know, they get to ignore the fact that it's hard work. And then they're halfway through medical school and go, oh, damn, I didn't realize it was this much work. And it's like, well, at least you can buy those collector's boosters you, are, after you're out of residence. I really don't think there's anybody that's that confused that that 
A, that medical school is a slog, like that's 10 years of your life, or B, that it's super expensive. You're going to be in massive debt when you first start, and that's going to last five years. And nor that the job in question is, in many cases, extremely difficult, and hence why it's highly paid. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would bet that there's probably a pretty good swath of people out there who underestimate what the effort is. Or how much they, they overestimate how much doctors get paid for the effort, but this is neither here. Well, there's there's, uh, there's also I mean I mean we're in the mid, in the trenches now. So the there's also the the versions of the job that are less taxing. Something like say an eye doctor are boring, like so boring. It's like being a dentist. Yeah. Dentists make good money too, but they also have like extremely high suicide rates because. <laughs> There's once they've nailed it, and there tend to be high functioning individuals who are extremely intelligent, so and have great manual dexterity. So once they've slam dunked it, and they're a couple years in, and they've just like mastered the the craft, everything out from there is they don't. There's no artistry to it. They just get to do the same things over and over and over again. Yeah, I mean that, that, that's is this is definitely bleeding into what would you would consider you know more of an after hours conversation. But I. Um, that has always been a fear of mine in career paths is something that is is certainly comfortable, but tends to sort of flatline in regards to what's interesting. Um, and I think like dentistry is a good example. It's like, yeah, those guys do have a, have a good living for the amount of stress and effort they put into it. But like you just know that you're going to do the same thing for whatever, 30 years or something like that. And your days aren't really going to change much at all. And then you're going to retire. And it's like, I don't know, for some people that's totally fine. But I like the sort of, I guess, n- not knowing exactly where my career will take me for better or worse, because the alternative is just deadening on your deathbed all you've got is your memories so it'd be real nice if they were a cornucopia of different ones you know i (laughs) so i triggered a multi-month like honestly probably close to a year now and still ongoing argument in my social circle when i made the claim that video games are one of the worst hobbies you can have and one of my bullet points for my presentation was uh, eventually all you have left are your memories and it's fun to be able to look back and talk about how you and your buddies did all sorts of dumb goofy weird shit whatever but your children are not going to care about you telling them that you uh played WoW for 12 hours and did a raid and got an item drop. Like those memories are, are meaningless and they're like the McDonald's of, of, of experiences and memories they are enjoyable in the moment, but they're just hollow. And uh, I guess that ties into the, the career component of it. I'm not sure it's tremendously different than say different generations would have tried to explain to their children, the experience of them reading a specific book. Depends on the book. There are some books that are so moving and beautifully written that they're worth the discussion but in many ways it, it's kind of like describing to your kid how you read a specific magazine i guess how you know how you got through a specific raid in a dungeon and whatever however i would say that there there's probably i agree with you to the extent that video games are amazing if you especially if you can limit them to some reasonable amount of time the more time you pile into them the less you're getting the diminishing returns are very real 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I've played video games my whole life, and I'm probably going to play them until the day I die, but that's because I fell into that trap early on, and it just be, kind of became part of my routine of habits, and it's also happened to be how I made most of my existing friendships, or, well, actually, nearly all of my existing friendships were made through Magic, but we've mostly... We all share video games. So it's not that they're not available. I, not that I don't partake, but it's it's a do as I say, not as I do. They're fine um, in small doses, but there are plenty of other things that you can do and enjoy that are ultimately better for you. But uh, honestly, we could go. I could talk about this for a while. And uh, Jason's waiting in the wings. Yeah, moving right along. Foil extender scroll rack. Same diff- same deal. First of all, Mana Drain, Vampiric Tutor, Scroll Rack, all zero to six months. Like, this could happen next week. Uh, this one is U.S. or Europe. Only really Mana Drain was a, special, was a bit cheaper um, of the three. Scroll Racks are currently 65, 70. They're going to be 120 to 140. I've zeroed out. Okay. Again, if you're, if you're stealing them for that cheap... Um... I like the angle here. The only other big, and the only other premium for scroll rack is the masterpiece version, and the lowest price on those is one eighty right now. I think I forgot that scroll rack was in Commander Legends, but it's uh, it's a spicy meatball too. Uses the old art. Yeah, the old art is cool. I do like that, and it's uh, those door frames. I don't know if they're door frames. Those wooden panels make good use of the space as well yep so um, 70 to 140 is the call there hey all that stuff looks good i was just just browsing it um yeah so um i'm gonna wrap up this week with um edh rec published an article uh the top cards of 2020 um and you know they had all the authors write about cards that they really liked and however they wanted to rate them uh, the one card that jumped out at me was Valka Exploration. Everybody had that on their list, but that showed up on our cast not that long ago. Um, and it's the showcase version. Showcase foils are, are cheap. I think they might be slightly cheaper now than they were when we talked about it. The supply on those guys is deep. But let me tell you, like nearly every author at EDH Track was talking about how much they liked Valka Exploration. So I wouldn't be surprised to see this get there eventually. Uh, might be a little longer than we initially thought, but I do think that that's a good choice. But the other card that showed up a lot in their discussion that I like to look up was uh, Sublime Epiphany, which I'm pretty sure I have not talked. To, we haven't talked about. It. I searched for it, uh, but it has caught my attention more than once. This is that six mana instant that does a bunch of stuff. It you can you can choose all of these. It's counter a spell, counter an activated ability, return a permanent, copy a, a token, and draw a card. So it does a lot of work for six mana. You're never really going to hit if you hit all uh, one, two, three, four, five of these modes at once. You get to run around the table for a victory lap. Uh, but even four of them is is totally adequate. Uh, there are 50 vendors right now, so supply is on the deeper side. Um, the extent, but the and you'll pay about seven bucks for an extended art foil. But this is a type of thing that I think is really worth socking away. Um, 
as in in your longer term spec box or i mean maybe you put it on the back burner and you keep an eye on the inventory and you wait for it to hollow out a little bit and then maybe you're buying it eight or nine instead of seven but i do think that you know if you have almost every author edh right talking about how much they like this card it bodes well for the future of it how many copies left a fair bit there's 50 vendors so you know i'm assuming that works out to somewhere around 100 ish maybe yeah so it needs some time yeah, and it's not going to be overnight, for sure, for sure. But I just, I, I think the card is a good choice. I think this is as cheap as it's going to get. Um, so it's the type of card that when you're placing an order, if they've got any floating around, throw them in your cart, and I don't think you're going to regret it. Yeah, it's a, it's a long-term or personal pickup now. Super fine. In the meantime, you can go for the, the super high turnover stuff and then pick up all the personal cards you want with the proceeds. It's it's funny because something like this used to be, would have been such a easy slam dunk because cards didn't turn around that fast. Now it feels like we play a slightly different game, but I still have to, I feel inclined to point out stuff like this. Yeah, fair enough. Um, All right, my final one is another S tier EDH staple, very steep ramp forming around it. Foil extended arcane signet. Keep in mind that uh, commons and uncommons are the same rarity in the foil extended arts for Commander Legends. Uh, the commons are not more common than the uncommons and there really aren't that many of, um, calculations we had on them was that there's less of these, even the common ones than there are of masterpiece inventions and so forth. So these are currently sitting around anywhere from 20 to 22, $23, depending on where you're picking them up. These are going to get to 45 or 50. That's just going to happen because it's the most premium version of arcane signet available. Yeah, I don't honestly don't quite understand why they're as cheap as they are. Like it just doesn't make the most sense to me, honestly. Because the because of the state, stated rarity being uncommon. Yeah, but you would think that the inventory would match. Like yes, I that makes perfect sense to me, and that it would have an impact at the outset. But you would think by now that the inventory had shaken out there'd be enough of a demand to plow through it. I definitely got that wrong too. I was saying that it was that the talking about commons and uncommons, like it mattered here. Cause I was mistaken uh, from the perspective that the original printing commander 2020 and throne of El drain uh, commander decks was both common, but they upshifted it to uncommon in commander legends. So it's actually an uncommon marked, uh, Foil extended art. Not that it matters since, again, the commons and uncommons are all the same rarity. Yeah. Uh, the other thing well, to point out is there is a recent secret layer drop that has quite nice art. Yeah, and, I do like that. And there are six listings. Was this one of the ones I can... I, there's no possible way I'm going to keep track it's, of one of these two. This is pre-order, out. and I don't think these come in until March of this year. Yeah. So they'll, they'll end up being a whole bunch of those lying around, and then I'm willing to bet those will end up on one of our lists as well. Even still, I think that that is a... Uh, I really like the foil that are Arcane Signets. I think when we had our group buy through the Discord, this is one of the ones that I maxed out on, I think, um, because I, I'm right there with you. It's become unbelievably popular since it was initially introduced, and even though the price points, it's the inventory and the price points seem a little weird for how popular it is, I do fully expect that to uh, normalize to expectations in not too long of a time frame. Yeah. It, it, there's just no way this doesn't get there. 
All right, so cool. that's paper cards to watch. We don't have a, uh, a user pick this week. We got 20 submissions or so, but it, nothing really jumped out at me. There was a lot of stuff where it was already drained so hard um, that there was only a real smattering. One, two, three copies kind of lying around, and uh, that didn't really make a lot of sense. So I guess we'll move right on here to our segment four. We're going to do our... Kaldheim set review, as it were, with a special bent towards EDH and uh, a smattering, I suppose, of constructed talk. And since we're talking about EDH and using all the stats from EDH Rec, we're happy to have back on none other than Jason E. Alt, Commander-in-Chief. Yeah, I like that. You call me the Commander-in-Chief. Get it? Always, Always glad to have you on, Jason. I was uh, glad to be on. It's, I, I write for the site. You'd think uh, I would be a little more involved in the podcast, but I, I'm just, I'm a diva, right? It's it's even more exciting to have you on for the second time in two days. <laughs> I wasn't sure if we were telling people about that because <laughs> we got two different groups of people from two different podcasts and neither group managed to know how to successfully record an episode of a podcast <laughs> you guys are on episode 260 almost we have done over three over 400 yep yeah well we we forgot to hit the record button folks but we're we're gonna get it right in the second take on this segment we're gonna buzz on through here we're taking a look at the top cards in kaldheim from the perspective of some early stats coming out of edh rec a site uh, that Jason, of course, is the content lead on. And first of all, let's uh, do a little bit of a divergence. Big congratulations to Jason and the EDH Rec team. You guys got a brand new spanking version of the site live this week. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Um, we've kind of had this in the pipeline uh, for a while. A guy named Danny Dang made a very good Reddit post where he's sort of like, hey, I do kind of graphics work, and this is what like I think it would be cool to have EDH Rec look like because i guess he was trying to get a job doing that sort of thing so jokes on him because we hired him and he spent a couple months kind of putting this together we staged it and it looked okay and then we broke the site immediately so <laughs> we're in the process of of uh getting all the kinks out but when we're done with that we think the site will be a little more streamlined will be easier to navigate we'll have more relevant information less irrelevant information but we didn't really take anything uh, that people liked away. You still have the clipboard functionality, which exports to uh, either to, uh, like Architect or a site like that if you want, or exports to uh, a site where you can buy cards, Card Kingdom or TCG Player. Um, we still have uh, a lot of the indexability, but you can use um, a, a, the screen like instead of scrolling all the way down, you can click a category on the left. It'll take you straight there. So we think it's a little cleaner. And um, we think it's going to make the site a little bit easier to use. If you're someone who doesn't care about EDH and you just want the sweet, sweet finance information that you're getting from my uh, my column on mtgprice.com, free every Thursday. If uh, if you're looking for that, I think the site will be even easier for you to use for people who aren't looking to build decks necessarily, but just one information. Awesome. I, uh, I watched the video and I liked it quite a bit for sure um the the new features uh the one the one major request i have is to add a button to link off to the set that the card is from because sometimes i'll pull up a card and it's in like 3000 edh decks 
And I'm like, okay, so this card is from Theros Beyond Death. How popular is that from Theros? And I want to click into Theros Beyond Death to kind of see where the card falls. But then I have to go up to sets and find the set and make sure I'm looking at the right set. And, you know, the one button, much easier. Yeah, that's uh, that's something we'll take under advisement. Um, it turns out I can make that happen. Oh. So. <laughs> big, big boy, big guy. I can here. at least let someone who's capable of coding. Now, I'm not capable of coding <laughs> right <laughs> like but i can tell a I can tell an adult <laughs> yeah and they could make it happen so yeah that's a great suggestion the okay the go say the good news is that it's just very basic cs uh like css so it shouldn't be shouldn't be too bad all right so segueing over to some early data on the caltem cards Probably the first thing we can square away is the pathways. We already have a pretty strong pattern from the original five. Of course, there are five in Zendikar Rising, five in Kaldheim, and we have a pretty good understanding a few months out as to how the market and the players are receiving these lands. They've made minor impact in, in constructed formats, mostly in Pioneer and Standard, but over uh, in EDH, they've been doing significantly better. I mean, we're looking at something like 16 to 20% inclusion rates for most of the pathways uh, from Zendikar Rising. Uh, and I would imagine we're going to see much the same with uh, the pathways from this set. I mean, those are like the exact percentages we're seeing right now. Well, you know, this is preliminary, but at the same time, I feel like when you have about 1,000 decks in the database so far uh, over the last uh, week or two, um, a thousand decks is a pretty good sample size, I think. So I, I think we're going to see around more than 15, less than 20% on just about every pathway. And I think if Clearwater Pathway Foil uh, Showcase Borderless was the sexiest of the bunch in the last set, I think we can all agree the green-blue one is probably the one folks should be taking a look at. Not only is green-blue a fairly busted color combination in Commander, but the Bark Channel Pathway, the green side, is uh, quite the piece of art as well. Blue side is not too bad either with those glaciers on either side. It's, uh, yeah. it's a real good-looking card. And I play a mm-hmm. lot of blue-green decks, so I will need quite a few. You and everyone else that plays the format. Now, yeah, now but here... people, like, they, they, they put a better blue-green commander, and someone's like, oh, well, my blue-green deck is this now. Not this guy. <laughs> just just at, keep building them. Just every blue-green deck. <laughs> uh yeah, the the secret layer on that's good too. They're both both good. Now here's the thing: if these had been foil extended arts and didn't had not shown up in regular booster packs as showcase, they would have been significantly pricier faster. But because they're showcase, and because we have ultimate secret layer two, which was originally supposed to come out around this time, but it has been knocked back three months, perhaps because uh, wizards. Uh, realized that it wasn't the most compelling offering. I think vendors had to cough up eighty to a hundred dollars or something like that uh, for depending on where they are in the world to get their hands on ten, what is essentially just ten more borderless uh, pathways. So you're putting a by the time they get to retail price, let's say that retail shops are selling it for one forty nine ninety nine up to one ninety nine ninety nine. You're talking about fifteen to twenty dollar pathways in a situation where you can still get the original ones in the five to ten dollar range, depending on where you're buying them from. And some of them are even cheaper. So I don't know. It feels like Wizards may have overestimated the demand for these. 
you know, in a pre-COVID planning stage. It's got to be more than EDH for this to, to justify two hundred dollars. You know, twenty bucks each. That's that's crazy. These outside of EDH, these seem kind of like temples to me. Like I like temples a lot, and I include temples in some of my EDH decks, but I'm not paying twenty piece for foil temples. Uh- I, I, yeah, I had a similar reaction that when they were revealed, I wasn't blown away by them. They seem perfectly capable um, and probably very good in some scenarios, but not amazing in others. Um, just relatively lukewarm on them. And I thought, you know, as far as the majors, the, the big pricey secret layer on these in conjunction with all this other stuff, I wonder if it's just them trying to see how much premium product they can throw at the wall for essentially just a standard legal card and see what they can get away with. Now, the thing is, we still have Strixhaven, which we know comes out in the spring that we know is going to have flip cards as well. And then we've got Innistrad in the fall, Innistrad Vampires, Innistrad Werewolves. I have to imagine there's going to be some flip cards there. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's weird to not have werewolf transformations and that's it so maybe there's something tricky coming where you're going to be able to flip over your pathways um who knows but uh i guess we'll see as as time goes on i know that they're going to be long-term gainers um but for the people that like to flip real fast there's probably better better places to be storing cash i think there's better places to be storing cash in both sets both zendikar rising and uh and Keltime. Yeah. All right. So in terms of the highest penetration rate that we're seeing out of the early EDHREC stats, the World Tree is right up there. 48% inclusion rate in five-color decks so far. Now, of course, being limited to five-color decks is going to dramatically impact the demand versus a card that can say go in every blue-green deck in, in EDH. But even still, there's very little reason not to run this if you're running five-color, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's basically a basic forest until you get six lands and then all of a sudden you get the the lantern effect um even if you're not running gods i think people um people don't really need to have any gods in the deck to make the world tree perfectly fine as a land so i think this card you know as as much as it is a rare pre-selling at like eight bucks i still think people are going to undervalue this because they're going to be thrown by the fact they're like well i'm not playing any gods in this deck and i think they'll gradually come around to Oh, this is just like a super land. Now, this is five color only, right? Just to double check. Yes, yeah. it, okay. its color identity is all five colors yeah. because of the mana symbols. Yeah, that's what I figured. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's I, I like it. I mean, it seems like it's a it's essentially a, a chromatic lantern on a land, but you know, financially, it seems a little bit hindered by the fact that it's only in five color decks, which is a, a little bit of a bummer. But so be it. It also has some long term relatively narrow open-ended synergy with gods right they're going to keep printing gods when we get to like neon boogaloo kamigawa or whatever we'll probably get some gods there too so i would imagine that this is just going to get better and better over time in terms of the silly things you can do with it and it's really just that middle ability get to six lands all your lands make whatever color you want that's super handy to have and an argument can be made that you know, the foil extended arts of this probably going to get pretty cheap. I don't love the rare, the, the naked rare at eight bucks. Definitely want it a lot lower, but if it gets low enough, I'd certainly be in for a brick. Yeah, um, it's not the most exciting card in the set, but 
it is showing it is showing up at like the top left, right? Because it's in you know, 50% of all the five color decks, because of course it is. So people are going to, I think, overvalue. They're like, wow, this is the best card in the set. Sure. I, yeah, that's something something to definitely be aware of is consider what percentage of total EDH decks are five color versus, you know, one, two, or three color combination. That said, one of the most popular decks in the last two years is Golos. Right. You know, and Golos can go and find this quite easily. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Golo, I, I have seen that time and time again. Frankly, it gets a little annoying just as the guy scraping the data, trying to find room for profitability that Golos is so popular because it's like, yeah, okay, I get it. Uh, can you show me, like, can other commanders become new and popular so that I can make money off of them instead? But, uh, you know, Golos is basically the single most popular commander over the last, what, six months, maybe a year. But how does he compare against the volume of all EDH decks built? He's He can't be more than 5%, right? Yeah, it's not like overwhelming. The thing about this format is players don't take one deck to a tournament for one thing. So everyone's got a ton of stuff built. You know, the average person making an account on Architect is, you know, I'm sure got at least five lists on there. So especially because you don't have to physically play the cards in an event in order to make a deck list like you do with can with with like a 60 card event you could just aspirationally just build a deck that has gaze cradle in it and you don't have a gaze cradle but you put it in a list because you want one Mm -hmm. so that's that's sort of a thing that happens um i'm not saying that makes the data unreliable but i am just saying that even if golos were like you know, a fraction of a percent of all the decks. I think, uh, I think the the number of Golos lists relative to the number of of other lists is, is probably the um, the better measure, anyway. It's also got some nice interactions with Essica, God of the Tree. That's the one double green, one four legendary creature god. Vigilance, add one mana of any color. Other legendary creatures you control, including gods, naturally have vigilance and add one mana of any color. And then the flip side of that is the Prismatic Bridge where at the beginning of your upkeep, you reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a creature or planeswalker card, and then you put that card onto the battlefield for free. So, I mean, if you have an Essica, a God of the Tree, you've got a World Tree, and you've got a Chromantic Landurn in your deck, you're well on your way to fixing your mana problems, even in five colors. Yeah, it's, it's good to be able to do that for not a million dollars. Yeah, and Essica's showing 12% inclusion in the five-color decks, and I would imagine it might, might even go higher. The, the other card I want to talk about that uh, people might not understand all the, the factors regarding is Realmwalker. Tuna Green for a 2-3 Changeling Shapeshifter. As Realmwalker enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may cast creature spells of the chosen type from the top of your library. This is showing up in 13% of decks reported since reveal. But you said you're not that impressed with it, right, Jason? This this is quite baffling to me because Realmwalker is just a bad vizier of the menagerie. We all sort of had this realization the first time around, and you're it's absolutely right. And it's surprising that Vizier of the Menagerie is as cheap as it is, and that Realmwalker is as expensive as it is, because it really is just a worse version for one less mana. The other yep. thing is the other thing is gonna throw people off and, and give uh buyer's headaches at LGS's is that Realmwalker has two borderless versions. It has the version that you get as the buy box promo, and it has the version that you get in the collector booster 
boxes with different art. So it's got competition from itself in terms of potentially being a gainer, and it's a rare, not a mythic. Not a lot to love here, I don't think. Uh, Velky God of Lies, on the other hand, is looking like the standout multi-format god of the set uh, based on having two really uh, reasonable uh, power curves uh, on both sides of the card. You got one and a black for a 2-1 on one side. When it enters the battlefield, each opponent reveals their hand. For each opponent, exile a creature card they revealed in... Uh, this way until Valky leaves the battlefield. And then for X, you can choose a creature card exiled with Valky, and he becomes a copy of that card. Pretty handy in EDH. And then the backside of the thing is Tybalt, Cosmic Imposter, 5 black red. When it enters the battlefield, you get an emblem with you may play cards exiled with Tybalt, uh, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast those spells, plus 2 exile the top card of each player's library, minus 3 exile target artifact or creature, Minus eight, exile all cards from all graveyards and add three mana to your mana pool. Lots of fun things to do with this card. And it's been showing up, getting tested in Pioneer, Standard, Modern, even saw it in Legacy because there's some weird cascade things where if you cascade into this card, you can put the expensive side into the battlefield for free. I've, I feel like there's no consistency on this. Like, as someone who understands the rules well enough to play Magic well and not make huge mistakes... Like them being like, oh, you can't blood braid into um, boom bust anymore, but you can uh, blood braid into the Tybalt cosmic imposter. And it makes sense that people understand the rules better than me. But for me, it just seems like they're flipping a coin, you know? Yeah, it's on the surface level without getting into the nitty gritty of, of magic rules, the you're just kind of told what you can do with it, and then you just accept it and roll on. <laughs> I, I, I agree completely. The consistency is is very awkward. I saw and, a guy and, melt it's, down. It's not, it's not intuitive in the slightest. I saw a guy melt down over the interaction between uh, Blood Moon and Urborg. This was like 2006. <laughs> the guy just like melted down. He's like, I talked to an L3, and he told me this, and now you're telling me. Th-. Oh, it was it was ugly. <laughs> that's uh, that's timestamps, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's real messy. Could uh, not accept it. I mean, I I accept that there is no good. There's going to be no intuitive way to handle this. Like, but the fact that you've chosen what feels like almost two different options at the same time is not helping anything. So the thing with these plain borderless mythic planeswalkers is, you can get regular showcase and borderless versions. So, and they all, and they show up outside of collector boosters. They're not exclusive to those. Now, any given version uh, may be, you know, more rare than people are expecting, but there's still going to be plenty of these floating around. So I don't know what price point I'm willing to take a hard look at Velky, and I'm not quite sure which version I want to be going after. Um, One of the versions looks like it has the Joker on it, so maybe that will be popular. (laughs) <laughs> i don't should... like any of the art frankly but i don't know yeah they're all fine um probably we're talking about raven form as the common 
that might show up the most often. It's showing up a 9% of blue decks so far since being revealed. It's only a sorcery for two and a blue that exiles target artifact or creature and gives that person a 1-1. Certainly lets blue deal with whatever it needs to deal with in EDH, and it does have foretell, so you can uh, you know, throw two mana into it to put a threat, the threat of using it onto the board and try to use that as some kind of warning stick. But it's probably just fine. Hard, hard to say how long it might take for foils to be a thing. We've seen, it's been pretty tough for foil commons or uncommons to get there in the era of collector boosters just throwing tons of free cheap foils at folks. But we have th saw, seen things like Cling to Dust out of Theros Beyond Death um, ending up being worth a few bucks. So maybe maybe Ravenform foils will get there in a couple of years. Well, you look at something like Feed the Swarm, which is a, a common out of Zendikar Rising, you know, and uh, a foil version of that is like three bucks. So, you know, uh, that didn't take long for that to hit three bucks. So Ravenform would have to get played as much as Feed the Swarm, which is the eighth most built card in, or played card in the set right after Balagad Recovery. And before the fifth pathway, so I don't think Raven Form is getting built quite that much. Yeah, I mean, the gaming MTG and the game. Well, the gaming company has 686 copies of Foil Feed the Swarm posted at a dollar fifty and free shipping on orders over thirty five. <laughs> that that might actually be a reasonable long term play. Feed, Feed the Swarm foils, say three years out, are probably buy listing at say a plus a dollar, plus two dollars from that position. Yeah, that seems uh, that seems pretty safe to me. And as, lo as long as you can keep 700 foil copies of a foil uncurled for that period of time. You get a really small box. Yeah, it's going to be a, a be box a that's box. big enough for 690 cards, and then you squeeze the last 10 in there. You got to use the acrylic box, the airless acrylic boxes that I'm using. The weight of itself is what keeps it from foil bending. Or alternatively, you take half the stack and turn it over and then kind of rubber band it together and they're fighting against each other to not curl. I have mm. fixed cards that got wet in a vice. <laughs> a vice? I experimented with it and uh, yeah, a vice actually worked. I was in college you... and I was experimenting. and Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Hal Halvar, God of Battle. Two double white, four four, legendary creature god. Creatures you control that are enchanted or equipped have double strike. At the beginning of each combat, you may attach target aura or equipment attached to a creature you control to target creature you control. And then the flip side of it, as the alternate uh, cast, is a legendary artifact called the Sword of the Realms. Equipped creature gets plus two, plus zero, and has vigilance. Whenever a equipped creature dies, return it to its owner's hand, and it can equip for one and a white. Thoughts on this in red-white equipment-focused or aura-focused decks? I think it goes in them. Um, you don't want this as your commander. I think it's a fine inclusion. So this is basically <laughs> just like a 4-4 enchantment, right? Like, it can swing, that's cool, but you're never playing the backside of this, and you really don't want this as your commander because red gives you so many more options. And you probably be in a, want to be in a red-white commander so you can fully mine the theme. Yeah, but I mean, this goes in every SRAM deck, probably. You know, it's... I I would... I don't know if it'll ever get cheap enough. I think this will be... It's too much now, and I think it'll basically always be the correct price. Because uh, it's a mythic. 
So like, I don't really see an opportunity to buy these at like a dollar and have them slowly go up to four. I think this will be too expensive. No one will be in a huge hurry to bulk these out and it'll just kind of always be the correct price, which means there's no opportunity. Yeah, pre-ordering at eight bucks doesn't get me excited on this. I, f- I find this mildly amusing because you were pretty hard on this card last night <laughs> and I shared that I was had a different approach than you and now you softened a bit on how much you like it. Because I didn't want to argue again. <laughs> <laughs> my, 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 my point was basically that you uh, basically it's similar. You don't you don't want it as your commander, but anytime you build any equipment deck in EDH, I can see you putting it in because all the abilities on the front of the card are worth it. My key point is that none of the top 20 or 30 commanders in the last two years are red-white equipment focused. So what we really need for the cards like this to get any traction as Mythics is for one of those kinds of cards to come to the forefront and get people excited. In lieu of that, the theme just isn't played enough for me to be diving in on this. Especially when we, in comparison to the next card on this list, Vorinclex Monstrous Raider. A just beefy, super synergy, highly beloved tribe, the Phyrexians. We got a four and two green for a six six trample haste. Already reasonable. And then a wall of text. If you would put one or more counters on a permanent or player, put twice that many instead. If an opponent would put one or more counters on a permanent or player, put half that many. So... This thing messes with other people's strategies, helps boost your own. There's all like hundreds and hundreds of interactions with the card. And it's got a fancy Phyrexian version, which according to all the feedback we've been getting from mass cracking operations and vendors that have been checking in on the matter, these are very hard to find, the Phyrexian version specifically. You know, one in... Somebody told me they got open 45 collector booster boxes and got one. Somebody else told me they... Somebody else told me they did a mixture of a few, several hundred regular set and collector booster boxes and got two. So these are not going to be easy to find. And they're currently priced in the two to $300 range on TCG Player, if I'm not mistaken. I'm not sure how low this needs to get to get me to jump in on it. But I know that if it gets low enough, I'm certainly going to be take, giving it a hard look. At least that version. I'm I'm not sure this is playable enough to buy it at two hundred bucks and to like get out at five or six later. But I said the same thing about um, Nick's load or uh, Jewel Lotus. So oh. what do I know? <laughs> well, I mean, one of the, one of the funny things here is that we already have the Phyrexian language, uh, Elishnorn, as a judge foil hmm. that was sky high for a while, seven eight hundred dollars. Then Travis bought some. Then it came way 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 down low. And then I bought some at 190 at CK, and now they're back up over 300. And I would imagine this will give those a little bit of pressure. And then that gets me thinking that they're not done with this cycle. Like, clearly, we're heading into a narrative for the next year or two where the Phyrexians are going to invade a bunch of planes. And I would bet you that there's a different Praetor sent out to each one. So maybe when we go to Strixhaven, there's going to be a different Praetor, maybe a blue one. And they're just going to keep cranking these out, and people are going to want them as a collectible set. Just to have one of each. I do and like the idea of Jenga Texas at a school for wizards and just nobody making all their brains not work. He's <laughs> he's just wearing like a schoolgirl skirt and a mask and trying to blend in. And yeah, no one's smart enough to figure it out because of his ability. It makes them so dumb. It's like mm-hmm. I'm at Hogwarts. 
We don't take math or learn history. We just learn potions because we're just a whole generation of children that doesn't get any. You would think it would be cool to teach wizards about World War II, but nope, they don't do that here because of Jenga taxes. I would like to see a body horror inspired Praetor skewering the Harry Potter stand in. Yeah, sure. Works for me. I don't mind if that whole set is just kid like kids Harry being Potter murdered. Kid, Harry, Harry Potter kids getting chased around Hogwarts. The most gruesome set possible. Phyrexia takes over the Hogwarts plane and commences graphic body mod- modifications. It's even better if it's a plane that has never known horror. Like has, never, has, has never known has never known trouble. Someone someone sitting around the R and D table going, "All right, hear me out." The human centipede at Hogwarts, courtesy of the, of the Frexians. Somebody else, like, they brought in a consultant, and they're like, edgy, I like it. It's like, it's that guy that wrote that awful novel who works on the story team now. Yeah. So, bottom line, I think I think Vorinclex is going to be the kind of premium card that doubles over some period of time, and the question is, what's the entry point? Yeah, I mean... It looks like the non the non foils are seventy five foils at two seventy five right now. If they're as rare as it sounds, this could end up at five or six hundred again. And the and like it seems I, I don't want to I don't want to buy this at two seventy five, and I don't want to tell anyone to buy it at two seventy five. But that is possible. Um, but I would be concerned with this card and this with with what happened with Elish Nord, as they might give you this, let you have it for I think it was two to three years. And then re-release it in some other fashion that doesn't saturate the market, but definitely increases the supply enough, um, which is going to hit a seven hundred dollar card. Uh, so I would be, I feel like if I were gonna if if this dropped down the one fifty or two hundred, and I decided it was time to spec on it, I would be aiming to be out of it within about eighteen months. I'm not sure that for additional versions down the road are going to matter at all. I, I could see this getting reprinted for sure in like Commander Legends 2024 or something or 2025, but they gave us three versions right up front, I, and all right. So I'm I'm just just to inter- interrupt just because I think we might have misconnected. The Phyrexian Elish Norn got re-released and nailed that price, and no, I would be concerned. But that- no, 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 no. You just never understood what was happening with Elish Norn. It never got re-released. The Judge Foils go out in two sets of packages over the course of six months, and then they rotate. That was not six months. It was. There was no way that was a six-month gap. Elish Norn never got re-released beyond that. There, <laughs> there, there were copies lingering in the marketplace because there were ju- there are regional judges that get packets that they get to distribute uh, as they as they see fit, or at least that is how the system worked prior to the current incarnation of the Judge system, but. Elish Norn got expensive because it was a judge foil that got drained out pretty quick, and then more copies did come into the market, but it's not like it was a reprint. I'm not saying it necessarily got reprinted, but it was released. So it it came out in July 2014, uh, and that second version didn't hit until uh, July 2017. Now, you can tell me that it was just the rest of the product, from the judge promo, and I, I believe you, but it was not six months. It was years because I had the Elish Norn for a good period of time. Where, where do you have the 2017 data from? Um, so I pulled up Goldfish, and I, there is a significant drop in 2017. 
I'd have to go back and triple check on that. We've got judges in the Discord that can that can weigh in on that. But to my knowledge, that's not what happened. Um, and more to the point, even if it is, that's not going to happen with Vorinclex because if anything, I think Keldheim is going to be kind of underopened, and there's not going to there's going to be very very little chance of this Vorinclex getting anything any other treatment anytime in the near future. Like years, probably three, four, five years before we see this card reprinted. What could happen? is that Wizards goes ahead and does a secret layer of the other Praetors, like the original five. But that's neither here nor there on this particular card. Even the non-foil version of this is currently 60 well, on TCG player. Yeah. My, my point was that if you if you buy the Phyrexian version at a high price, let's say between two and 300, hoping to flip it when it hits five or six, that, that could very well be a strong, a, a solid play. Uh, but that within two to three years, they may add more to the market through some more Phyrexian copies to the market through some process, the same way that they did with Elish Norn, which according to this was three years later, um, and it did hit the price pretty good. So if this data that I that I pulled up is correct, I, I don't know that they would do that, right? Like this is just all conjecture, but my concern would be they're like, okay, we're going to put this card out into the world. It's super rare for a little while. And then a little while down the line, we're going to add a couple more copies to the market to make it a little more accessible. But at the same time, they have not really shown an interest in doing that with a lot of their other premium cards. So that's, that's not like a major concern. I'm just drawing a parallel to what we saw in the past, something to keep in mind. I mean, there's no, there's no judge foil... Amano Liliana, for instance, the they've tended to leave these super premium cards well enough alone. Um, th- things like your Mana Crypt and your Soul Ring and so forth are going to get, you know, premium version per year or at least premium version every other year from here till eternity because they've shown that that seems to just work out without really undercutting previous versions. Yes, I would agree that they have generally been pretty reserved on going too hog wild on premium copies of the cards. I'm, I, I'm not debating that, and I don't, and I think that they're more likely to not do that than they are to do it because there's no real reason for them to do it. Elish Norn does seem like it was a bit of a outstanding scenario. Jason, do you see Vortenklex just being medium good green card and EDH that'll see some play for a whole long time? I guess I think the only thing that's I think the only reason it's in like 7% of decks right now is because it goes in like every Finn the Fangbearer deck, right? Because you just give it more poison counters. We'd expect that percentage to drop off over time would be my guess. But Vorinclex is currently built more than Jorn, and it's just a really basic, you know, mono green super friends type build so far is what I'm seeing, so... Even the basic version of this card is thirty-eight bucks on TCG Player, so I, I'm not a buyer till I see a market low on this card. But uh, definitely worth keeping an eye on that foil Phyrexian that nobody can find. All For right, sure, so, and who knows? If, who knows if you get that in your box? Uh, I was inclined to say sell right away, but I mean, I, I, someone popped a foil jewel lotus, and I was like, well, congrats. And then it's like worth way more than it was when I told him to sell it. So what do I know? <laughs> yeah, that's jeweled lotus vexes us all, Jason. I'm just over here looking at like why is Realm Walker in so many decks? But all right, Goldspan Dragon, three double red, four four, flying haste. Whenever it attacks or becomes the target of a spell, create a treasure token, and all of your treasures tap for two mana of any color when you sack them. 
This is built to go in Magda decks the way Vorinclex was built to go in Fin decks, right? Like, Magda sure. can tutor for Goldspan Dragon, and then all the treasure tokens you made with your dwarves uh, get to do double duty. I kind of like that, but I don't know where this goes outside of it. It's also one of the, the only foil uh, mythic extended arts that are exclusive to the collector boosters. So if it were to post up as a relatively popular red card over time, uh, you know, say it's got six, seven, eight thousand decks a year out or so, then I would imagine those will be gainers. I, I landed uh, a little more favorably on this as well. I think if you want dragons, it's totally fine because it's got haste and makes its own treasure token. So you play an attack, you immediately get a tre- double treasure token back. And if you're playing with treasure tokens in your deck, you want this, even if you're not interested in dragons, because um, it just doubles all of those everywhere. It seems very good. Um, so I think the utility is pretty solid. Like if, if you're if you're playing a deck with treasure tokens or if you're playing a deck with dragons, like it's good in both cases. And if you're also playing a deck that likes tokens, then it might be good too, based on some of the token effects. It seems like it might sneak into a couple more places. Although I would assume it's possible that its downfall will be that it's a little generic and it's always decent, but never, except in very rare cases, thrilling. And then just ends up not being niche enough for the many, many niche decks out there. Now, one of the things that's, that's interesting here is that Wizard seems committed to making treasure tokens pretty evergreen. And mm-hmm. we could easily see ourselves in a position a couple years down the road where there are enough other treasure cards that have come to prominence that this just gets better and better. I mean, how many hull breachers do you need before you care about throwing something that doubles your treasure tokens into your deck? Uh, what I will say is, as a piece of uh, data that I think is somewhat relevant, Leyline Tyrant is currently like three bucks. Sure. I have to look that up. Which one is that one? You don't lose unspent red mana as steps and phases end, and when Leyline Tyrant dies, you may add any amount of red. When you do, it deals that much damage to uh, any target. Or pay any amount of red. So, like, the the mana doesn't drain out. It does seem pretty powerful. I think I forgot this card existed. Yeah, it was a whole set ago. That is a lifetime. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <Well, laughs> kind of was, yeah. So that, that was the Mythic Red Dragon from Zendikar Rising. Now we also have Hellkite Courser uh, from Commander Legends, right? Correct. And that was the 6-5 for 6 Flying Dragon. When it enters the battlefield, you may put a commander you own from the command zone onto the battlefield. It gains haste, return it to the command zone at the beginning of the next end step. And that one has so far been reported in 900 decks, just 3%. Uh, so far, gold spans in double that amount in terms of percentage. Yep. I I, th- I think that's... Oh, it's hard to know. Um, but Hellkite Courser is actually... Is also like in the same like percentage as uh, stuff like Quain, Arkelos, Kamal. You know, it's... Um, I don't know. It, it seems like EDHREC is reporting, uh, you know, tens of thousands of decks over the period since Commander Legends versus a thousand decks uh, over the time period that we've got data for uh, for Kaldheim. So I, I kind of think it, it that while it's a big enough sample size, I kind of think some of the stuff will ease off because I think some people are testing things now and they won't be finalizing their list with them included. 
Makes sense to me. So tell us a little bit about why you think Turgrid, God of Fright, is is uh, maybe too good. <laughs> I, I, so it's obviously very powerful. And anybody who sees Turgrid is going to say, wow, all the stuff that was already money um, from Tiny Bones is going to like continue to go up. So we had a situation where something like Bottomless Pit that was like a bulk uncommon from Stronghold suddenly went to like $13 and was sold out everywhere. And then it went back to like a buck or two, right? Like it retraced pretty hard. But everything that was like rare from around that era, you know, uh, your Oppression, which has two printings, um, your Necrogen Mists, which was from a few years later than Stronghold, you know, um, your stuff like that kind of held on and is now seeing another bump up. Um, I think you want to be selling that stuff pretty quick here. Um, I don't think Turgrid is going to be a deck that gets played a ton long term because I think it's too good and I think it makes you the arch enemy. Uh, when, when this card was first spoiled, everyone's like, wow, Jason, you love playing with other people's cards in 75% lists because that's the deck building ethos I kind of came up with on uh, cool stuff, Inc. where like, if you want to make sure that your stuff is about the same power level as their deck, you just take their cards from them. And then therefore, you know, if you're playing against a pre-con, you're playing with pre-con cards. And if you're playing against a super spiky deck, you play with spiky cards. So <laughs> people thought I would like Turgrid, but I kind of think you're just going to play three on one games of arch enemy and you're still going to win. For, for what it's worth, I think this card is awful. I have definitely, I mean, awful isn't terrible for the format. I have different opinions mm-hmm. about EDH than um, than the EDH rec crowd at large. You know, I think like Demonic Tutor is an awful card that nobody should play, but it's like the second most popular black card in the format. So clearly I don't line up entirely, but this card just seems like you said, this is just going to make the game miserable. People are going to be annoyed. playing. Well, I think you. people are going to take the deck apart. Like I played my Zyrus deck exactly one time against other people. Like I just took my Zyrus deck apart just because it just it was real miserable, you know. Um, it's just you just wheel everybody and then you just kill them with impact tremors and it's it's kind of boring. I kind of think that people are just gonna kind of get sick of playing against this and people are definitely eventually gonna get sick of playing with it. So I kind of think yeah, all the Necrogen Mist and stuff like that, all that stuff is you know spiking again, which is cool because. The first time something spikes, everyone goes out to the LGS and sees the misprice $1 copy in the binder, and they're like, ha-ha, yoink. But when the stuff spikes again, that stuff doesn't exist, and the only place you can get it is from the dealers who paid 4 bucks for that buy list, and they're like, no, it's 8 mm-hmm. So when stuff spikes again, it spikes harder because there's all those cheap copies that could have you know backfilled all the demand don't exist. And... Um, the only place you can buy it is from the places where when they sell out of stock, it signals the rest of the market. So, yeah, I kind of think if you have Necrogen Mist that you bought for Tiny Bones and didn't sell, congrats. They went up another 40%, but, like, I think get out. Because um, if either either I'm right and, like, people are, are going to be able to sell their Turgrid stuff while there's still demand for it, or I'm wrong and EDH is ruined forever and, like, I got bigger problems. So... I kind of feel safe making that proclamation. <laughs> I mean, I get—I always see this stuff as, as much as I agree with you that that commander is better when they don't design for it, and as obvious as it is that they have been doing a lot of that, 
and pushing a lot of high power level cards into the format, your hull breachers, your opposition agent, your you know, uh, smothering ties and what have you. I also think that the format is largely self-regulating. And A, that the meta is just increasingly broad. And B, that if playgroups don't enjoy what's going on, you know, the guy can come to the table, slam down his ridiculous deck, destroy everybody in five minutes, and then everybody else at the table is like, yeah, we weren't really feeling that. Why don't you switch decks? And they do. Because, you know, if, they, if they're with a group that wants to play CEDH-style play, they'll, they'll do that, and otherwise they won't. And everybody can make up their own rules. So I don't really worry too much about it, to be honest. And what sucks about this card is it's terrible in CEDH. Like, it's, it's not going to be a good card for CEDH, so you're going to build this deck, get spanked by spiky players, and you're like, oh, well, I guess this is a casual deck, and then casual players are going to be absolutely miserable. Fair enough. How about uh, something like Pyre of Heroes, the artifact that's in a relatively low percentage inclusion at just 3%, but that's because it's an artifact, uh, so harder to break through. Still in nine, just 90 decks reported on EDH Rex so far, but something tells me this will be one of those slow gainers over time that's going to do good work as bricks or foil extended arts. It's, this is a birthing pod. Yeah. Two, two mana to put it into play, two to sack a creature, search your library for a creature card that shares a creature type with the sacrificed creature and has converted mana cost equal to one plus that creature's converted mana cost. So sack a spirit, go get a spirit that's worth one more. For... What it's worth, Ari Lax mentioned on Twitter that this card is just pod. He's like, this this is birthing pod. Like the creature type restriction is is mostly irrelevant or easy to work around. Um, he was talking about competitive, of course, not EDH. But I mean, it's worth pointing out that it's very good there, and it seems uh, probably slightly easier to make the creature type work in your deck. Um, in an EDH deck, because you only necessarily have to have like one, maybe two creatures at each casting cost of the correct type or what have you. Or, you know, there's enough chains floating around out there that you don't have to be able to go straight from two to six. Somebody was on Twitter today showing off a 15 and 5 modern goblins list with four copies of this card. Mm. Hmm. Another thing that could happen is this just doesn't do anything for a while, and then Wizards announces, like, oh, uh, Commander 2024 is going to be tribal. And, like, when we saw that happen, junk, like, bell-based portal, just super bad cards, just, like, went up in the near term, and they went all the way right back down, but if you had bell-based portals and you could get out of them for five, six bucks, you did it. So, even if this does nothing, this could just be a, people remember that they like tribal decks and, you know this is uh, in the mix again so who knows i thought bob's portal was fine i mean okay (laughs) like like it's not thrilling i mean it depends on what what tribe you were playing right if you were playing like elves and paying three instead of whatever was minimal but you're playing playing dragons yeah anything beefier sure so i put uh, on the same level as the uh, the birthing pod, I put Max Masswood Nexus in that same basket. Four mana for an artifact. Creatures you control are every creature type. The same is true for creature spells you control and creature cards you own that aren't on the battlefield. For three, tap and get a 2-2 blue changeling that's going to be whatever you need it to be. This seems like the same kind of thing. It's reported in 5% of uh, decks so far on EDH Rec, and I would imagine that both of these cards will be 
will hollow out, get pretty cheap because they're only really needed in EDH, and then do some work for people's wallets in a couple of years. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate Nexus. Um, if you look at cards like Xenograft and um, Arcane, Arcane Adaptation, Arcane Adaptation, all that stuff kind of. Again, when they announced that they were doing <clears throat> tribal stuff, that stuff got another look. Um, some of the older stuff, like people were like, "Oh, Arcane Adaptation and Turn Timber Ranger, you just win the game." So I'm wondering if uh, maybe this could be the, like the one card that deck needs to. <laughs> to eventually have enough cards to make that combo work or some other combo. I looked up the price data on all of these, I should say price data, the current price of all of those creature type change enchantments. And they're all floating around a couple dollars. None of them are really high, but none of them are bargain bin either. So there's clearly some demand for the creature type enchantments. Maskwood Nexus is probably... I mean, it's worse than Arcane Adaptation, which is, I think, the most recent version of it, because um, that's one cheaper. But it's colorless, which means every deck that wants a creature change, creature type and changer, will be able to play Maskwood. I don't know. I think it's probably inclined to gain, but it's going to be a long ride. I think this will be a bulk rare, and when it becomes a bulk rare, it's uh, an attractive because it's one of those casual cards that's just going to be a couple of bucks in a couple of years. Yeah. If I could get, as James likes to say, a brick of these at, I don't know, like a quarter piece or something like that, now that's tempting. Oh, yeah. I would love to pay 25 cents a piece on something that I would know I'll be able to buy list for a buck 75 to Card Kingdom plus 30%. Yeah. Yep. Reflections of Lit Jar is in that basket as well. That's the blue enchantment, four and a blue. Enters the battlefield, choose a creature type. Whenever you cast a spell of that type, copy the spell. Again, not super exciting to double my elves necessarily, but if I'm doubling dragons or whatever, or giants or some such nonsense, you've got my attention. It says double on it. Yeah. I like that card quite a bit, actually. Um, It's just because it's just so easy. Like, you don't have to do any work to make this do a lot of work for you, right? Like, your eternal witnesses get back two creatures Mm -hmm. or two cards. Like, that's... You really only have to cast one creature after you put Reflections in the play for that to do work. Uh, People play stuff like Flame Shadow Conjuring, and that has a cost every time you use it. You know, this is this is a free Flame Shadow Conjuring, basically. And as much as Jason is right that they're going to come back with, you know, a, a <clears throat> thick tribal theme, we're... If you look at the rest of the, this year, we're pretty much already there. I mean, we know Strixhaven's going to be a pile of wizards. We know Dungeons and Dragons set in the summer is going to be all of the missing, all the party uh, 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 tribal uh, jobs, and then probably some extra ones. They'll probably have some paladins and some warlocks and whatever. And then, as we said, Innistrad in the fall is Innistrad vampires and Innistrad werewolves, so that's going to be a whole pile you know it's just it's Mm -hmm. basically just tribal all year long all this stuff is here for a reason stands to reason people are going to be reaching for these cards man i feel like you could play reflections of lajar in a deck that's not even necessarily a tribal deck but it has a sufficient threshold like if you have 20 cards of a creature type is this playable feels like it might be Especially well, also, if there's it, it, like a combo where it's just like it doesn't matter because there's one specific creature that makes the deck work. 
Well, and especially if it's your commander. <laughs> yeah. Like, like you name Phyrexian and you're dropping some Phyrexian into play that does something on contact, then, you know, it might just be a two-card combo that gets better with other stuff that's in your deck, but well, <laughs> might be attractive as is. I don't know how well it's going to pair with your commander, given that they're legendary and all. Uh, but I, I see where you're going with this. Well, it depends what the, the copy is still going to do the thing as it comes in, right? Yeah, it would. So it depends, depends who we're talking about. But the other one I like is Draugr Necromancer. It's just a rare, but seems like it's going to do a lot of work. Three and a black for a 4-4. Four, four. Already reasonable stats. Zombie Cleric. Those are two tribes worth noting. It's a snow creature, also notable. Mm-hmm. If a non-token creature an opponent controls would die, exile that card with an ice counter on it instead. And then you can cast those spells, and you can do it with from snow sources as though it were mana of any color, but you don't necessarily need to do it with snow sources. So if you're playing a multicolored deck, you may just cast it with whatever. This, I mean, this is this has the potential to be quite the card advantage engine, but not the kind of thing that necessarily makes you a target immediately. This is the kind of card that I kind of wish they'd made Turgrid, but it's a little too underpowered for, like, a, a god. I get that, but, like, when people thought I would like Turgrid, this is the kind of card I actually like, you know? It's not going to bum anybody out. You're not going to get it every game, and it's a little fair because you have to pay for it. Yeah, it's like Gaunti, you know? It's just another Gaunti. Yeah. I can see that one being popular over time. I'd, I'd also like to see how low those get. And I think the the art on that card is nice and looks it looks really good in foil extended art. So I would imagine that those will get probably real cheap. Like a foil extended art rare that isn't a real big deal and nobody's really making noise about, that's going to be a 2 or $3 thing. And then a few years out, these could be 10 to 15 pretty easily. I don't know if it'll get played that much, but... Um... I, I hope to be proved wrong, because I like this card a lot more than a lot of people do, I think. With the early stats showing up in 5% of decks, but I would expect that to trail off, so maybe it becomes a 2 or 3 percenter. I mean, 2% two per, two of 20,000 decks is, you know... Still a sizable number? Yeah. Alright, anything anything in here either of you want to flag that you feel like we should have talked about? I think Mystic Reflection is a, a really confusing card, and... I feel like it could be really, really powerful, but I don't know how. It's one of those cards where you look at it and like you see the potential, but you don't. You know, somebody smarter than you is going to have to break it for you. So this is you the... don't know how deep you want to go based on your like. Is this good? Because I felt that way about Kethis, and I never built a Kethis deck on uh, on cool stuff because I just couldn't figure out what to do with it. And then people just did the obvious thing with it. I was like, oh, it turns out the obvious thing's real good. So. Maybe the obvious thing's real good with this. One reason I did flag it is because EDH Rec puts Card Kingdom prices right next to TCG player prices. And this is a $14 pre-sale on Card Kingdom and a $7 pre-sale on TCG player. So that's uh, that's quite a discrepancy. This is the instant blue rare, one in a blue. Choose target non-legendary creature. The next time one or more creatures or planeswalkers enters the battlefield this turn, they enter as copies of the chosen creature. So, if you have easy token production, then you can mess around and make sure that really good things on your opponent's side come in as bad tokens. Or, you can make sure your things come into excellent copies of <clears throat> things that you have in play. This this card, I think, is quite potent. And the, the price means that we're hardly the only ones to notice that. 
Um, but and I, I expect it'll come down from seven dollars. I mean, almost everything will come down from its pre-sale price. That said, uh, this card has got some 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 juice. It, it you know the obvious answers to look at this and go okay well it's for token decks and decks that want to make tokens and like that's true but there's also some additional application here that um that i don't think is quite as obvious for instance i have a brago deck that bounces your whole board like the point is to, to flicker your permanence and you know you foretell this on turn whatever two or something like that two or three and then you just get to sit there with this in play and you can you know, if I'm playing Brago, I attack, I, you know, choose to bounce five creatures, I exile them, I re-fortell Mystic Reflection, and then they all come back in as some, you know, Diluvian Primordial or something stupid and just, like, take the game over on the spot. Uh, mm -hmm. So you don't have to be playing tokens for that to carry a lot of weight. It's also worth pointing out that this has one or more creatures, but it doesn't say you control. So yeah. if your opponent does something really stupid, you could screw them with it. You could make the you could make them enter as a copy of someone's phage or something like that. Yeah. Oh, which, non legendary. That sucks. Uh yeah, yeah. You have to choose a non legendary creature, but you could still choose like, okay, well, you just put like nine ten ten beasts in the play, but it, instead you're getting nine, you know, sapperling tokens. Yeah, the, the the premise that this can turn a whole bunch of tokens into something is also something people won't pick up at first glance. Because as long as all the tokens hit the battlefield at the same time, or all the creatures, they don't necessarily have to be tokens. Um, but if they hit the battlefield at the same time, they can all be a. They can basically have an, provide an instant army. It's a. There's a lot of play here, so I, I would certainly keep an eye on this uh, in terms of yet another rare in the set that's probably going to get real low and set up brick potential. I mean, so just as an aside, you play Hornet Queen. Then with Hornet Queen's trigger on the stack, you re-foretell your Mystic Reflection and your four Hornet tokens come in as four more <laughs> Hornet Queens. Pe people are not going to have to do that many times to start looking for more places to do that. That's fun. Um, all right. So that, that pretty much wraps up the Kaldheim from the EDH perspective. Actually, now that I think about that, any creature that makes tokens when it comes into play is very potent with this card. Sure. Like, what about your Avenger of Zendikar? Like, green staple. Comes into play, <laughs> you foretell. Yeah. Okay, and now I'm getting... I was going to get make 12 Sapperlings, but instead I got 12 Avenger of Zendikar. Like... That's gross. Get it, Travis? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's gross. It's, that's Baker's Dozen, if I, you made 13. <laughs> yep. So there you go. I think the card is probably better than... Maybe people realize, or maybe we're just very late to the party, either or. All right, so just to quickly cover off some constructed considerations, even though we are in the midst of the COVID pandemic. And, and even though EDH is a constructed format. Sure. Uh, <laughs> constructed competitive. <laughs> um, Velky got a lies has showed up in a whole bunch of formats. That's probably going to continue. The World Tree, I could see making its way into something maybe alongside Primeval Titan here or there, uh, maybe doing something in Pioneer along the way. Doomscar is probably not as good as Supreme Verdict overall, but the fact that you get to get efficient on mana where if you want to hold up counter spells or not, this may allow you to kind of craft some turns and then cast a pretty cheap Wrath 
Seems like it's going to get played at least in Standard, probably in, in Pioneer along the way. Tybalt's Trickery is a nasty, nasty combo deck in a couple of different formats already, at least in Standard and Modern. Um, I was watching Standard. Day9 has a YouTube video out where he plays a whole bunch of matches of a Standard version of Tybalt's Trickery, where he's countering his Tormod Crypt and... Uh, what's the... The X artifact spell, uh, which I own bricks of. I should know this. Anyway, he, he counters zero mana spells and then puts Ugans into play. And it was, or Dream Trawlers, or uh, Flipped Essicas, and the whole thing was very, very nasty. I think his win percentage was like 67%. So Trickery looks like uh, a pretty serious card. And then Weathered Runestone uh, does an anti-dredge impersonation for Pioneer that may end up mattering. So last night when we talked about Weathered Runestone, Travis is like, I don't know what that card is, and I had to look it up, but I didn't look it up, and now I still don't know what that card is. So <laughs> it's one of the endless uh, like two mana hate artifact hate cards they've made that I now can't keep track of them all. Non-land permanents can't cards in graveyards and libraries can't enter the battlefield, and players can't cast spells from graveyards or libraries. That's spicy. So it's pretty the kind of thing that's gonna it's an uncommon, it's gonna show up in some sideboards, it's not super financially relevant. I don't know if I like the fact that they're making them in uncommon in almost every set and making them super narrow, so like it has so little value as a sideboard card because it's just like you can get one deck. You can get them hard, but you're getting one deck. I mean certainly sideboard cards are not <laughs> the days of being able to make bank on sideboard cards that are suddenly useful. I mean, that seems like a distant memory at this point. I Well, that was never really... You were never supposed to do that. I remember the, one of the key pieces of financial advice was uh, don't spec on sideboard cards. Like, they change more often than the main deck does. Then the sideboard was... spec, or as I call it, the Corbin Hostler special. <laughs> then... It's like, people are playing Ravenous Trap. Quick, get foils. <laughs> there was, you know, there was stuff like Leyline of Sanctity... And Falminator Mage that kind of like broke the mold a little bit. But I felt like those were more exceptions to the rules than anything else. What's the white enchantment for one and a white that... Rest in peace. Rest in peace made people money at one point. Yeah, and Stony yeah. Silence was okay too. But those still weren't like big winners, I don't think. No, never huge. Oh, I've got one more on the EDH side and then we'll wrap up. Orvar the All Form. Three and a blue... Legendary Creature Shapeshifter, 3-3 three, three Changeling. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, if it targets one or more other permanents you control, create a token that's a copy of one of those permanents. When a spell or ability an opponent controls causes you to discard this card, create a token that's a copy of target permanent. It's uh, very good. Very good. Um, so people who are familiar with my column on MTG Price know that I like to talk about cards like Turgrid, Orvar, and Magda not as cards themselves but as decks that are built around them that make uh, older cards go up because whatever the price of orvar the all form is in uh, in several months i don't know and you know what i don't like to be asked anymore uh i don't care <laughs> but if you ask me hey jason uh my lgs has a bunch of copies of whim of volrath for three dollars should i get them yes you should because whim of volrath is now twenty dollars on tcg player because everybody who's building Orvar, the all form, is building exactly the same deck. What the hell? 
That mm-hmm. crap is good. Well, it's I, not. Let me, sorry, it stop. has buyback. Let's say that that card is money. It's a three dollar. It's a, a three mana spell that says make a copy of something with Orvar out. Like, um, that's all that matters. Uh, to be fair, I didn't know what Orvar did. Yeah. So if you look now at something like Glamour Die, that's a buck or two bucks right now. That seems like a a real real good buy. So. But, but yeah, so Orvar and right? Turgrid are the, oh, uh, and uh, and Magda. Those are the three that are like really popping a bunch of uh, older stuff. Magda made all those dwarves go nuts, and it made uh, Hellkite Tyrant go nuts, and you know I welcome that. Um, Turgrid basically spiked a bunch of Tiny Bones cards, so but whatever, that's not new. But I wrote on uh, um, on MTG Price this week about Orvar, so uh, that article will be uh, free on Thursday. Whim of Volrath. Huh. I, I don't even remember this card. Because uh, it didn't really do anything. It was like a, a like a rare that you're like, ah, this garbage back in the day. Uh, to be, I guess, uh, to be fair, I wasn't playing during Tempest. It was one of my breaks, but uh, hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you, though. The idea, like, I don't care what the new card costs. I care about what the other car, old cards that are going to be expensive. Those are way more interesting. All right, yep. wrap, to wrap things up here, Travis, I did do a little bit of research while we were talking. You were right about Elish Norn, that there were, that they did, it was the same print run, but they distributed more in 2017 after all. Yeah. Ooh. Ex- Exemplar Wave 9. Yeah, because I remember it was quite a, a quite a ways, because I had gotten it, it had gone up in price, and I was feeling all smart, and then they announced that, and I felt like an idiot, and everyone tweeted me and was like, sell your Elish Norn, and I really got lucky that some guy bought it. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, so thanks, huge thank yous to Jason E. Alt, Commander-in-Chief, for joining us to talk about Kaldheim and tell us a little bit about the changes to EDH Rec. Uh, always good to have you on, Jason. And do you want to tell people where they can find you online? Yeah, check me out at Jason E. Alt on Twitter. Check out my pinned tweet. That says uh, links to all the other projects I work on. As some of you know, I am a writer from MTG Price, which I've mentioned 11 times this episode. I also write the 75% uh, EDH column on Cool Stuff, Inc., and I'm on the Brainstorm Brewery MTG Finance podcast. I'm on a movie podcast called film hooligans on the they said we said youtube channel i'm the content manager on edh rec and we will be launching a brand new content website on monday so check that out wow that big big week coming up for you then yep it's uh it's never a dull moment i was kind of remarking that we had a lot of projects all launching in february and i think don said he wants that to be the new pace so we're gonna be innovating a lot in 2021 so expect big things from edh rec you guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic as well as via my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord. What about you, Travis? I am on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Also like to remind our listeners to check out the MDGPrice.com Pro Trader service for just $7.99 a month or $79.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering, Pokemon, Flesh and Blood, you know, whatever is out there and making folks money in collectibles, which is basically everything these days. 
Uh, once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com and save 5% off your order and support this podcast, which brings us to the end of episode 258, coming up on five two, years. 257, 257. Oh, 257. My apologies. Uh, it was 257 when we recorded last night, so I thought tonight was 258. <laughs> uh, <laughs> always That's a pleasure. We, uh, if you ha- we are taking suggestions. If there's anything particular you want to see for our five-year anniversary show, we're all ears. We've got some ideas batting around, but if there's something particular you want to hear from, I'd be, we'd be curious to know what it is. Um, Best suggestion so far is we'll just line up against a wall uh, on video stream and let people scream, fuck you, MTG Finance, into the void just to get a little, get a little something off their chest in 2021. I, I didn't agree to that, but you guys can do that to James. <laughs> Screaming at podcast is self-care. Yeah. Jason, it was a pleasure as always to have you on. Well, we'll have to do this more often. Uh, thank you, Jason. Thanks, Travis. And we'll see you all next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. <laughs>